Hey there, Jinky McJinkerson. This is Ineosh. Hey, Ineosh. This is Steven. Steven, what's up with your name? I don't know why it's a taboo or whatever, tabooed word, and Lissy was chewing oh. out um, Bramer about it. Janky was one, and then the other one was... Um, mooks. Mooks, right. Mooks I can maybe get if there's some group called that, because it's no doubt, if, you know, if there is a race called the mooks, then like, I bet like a stereotype is that they're disposable grunts, right? Because yeah. that's what they actually are. Um, so it sounded like it was like a subclass of orcs or something. Oh, probably could be. I don't remember quite what you said, but Janky didn't make any sense, and I couldn't think of another creative name. If there was like a famous inspector, I would have done that. Mm. Like Inspector Gadget, that would that have been a good one. That's too late. We're past it. <laughs> you can always save it for some other time, maybe. Yeah, but the inspector business was huge on this one. Huge on this what? I wouldn't say it was huge. Well, <laughs> he showed up for like two paragraphs. No, because but, he was the, the inspiration for a lot of action. Right, he was a lot of action. <laughs> um, so sex action, get it? <laughs> I I get it. Yes, the lack of laughter made me think you didn't hear me. So I I uh, mean I, I smiled broadly. It wasn't funny. I get it. So no, it was funny, but it wasn't like laugh out loud funny. It's a different kind of funny. I understand. But, but here's the problem with not being able to see each other, right? Like yeah. I, I can be enjoying something, but if it's not a verbal enjoyment, you can't tell. I'm nodding. Oh, damn it. Yes. Uh, see, this is like trying to have sex with someone who, like, if you can't see them or anything, it just it doesn't work. Not that we're having sex. I can't think of a hilarious segue, so I will just jump right in to discussing what this podcast is, because from this context, no one has any clue. This is, oh, uh, not n- <laughs> no clue. This is perfect. This yeah. is the show. Not everything is a clue. Uh, where Inash where we and talk I, about sex. And occasionally we talk about Alexander Wales' web serial, Worth the Candle, available Which in is all ebook about and audiobook. A chunk of it is an audiobook. A chunk of it is an ebook too. Although the whole thing is available online, which can be trans. Oh, that's right. I thought the ebook, ebook was for everything, but you're right. It is just for um, what's it called? The first forty-two uh, chapters against adversity. No. Yes. Yes. Uh, so yes, that is that is a thing that um, that you can do is buy his things, which you should because they're great, and we're talking about them. If you don't want to, though, you can uh, read them online for free, and then you can support Alexander Wales on his Patreon, or you could support us on our Patreon if you enjoy this podcast that you're listening to right now. Both are linked in the show notes, and we do kick back fifteen percent of ours to Alexander Wales. Um, and with that, I think we should jump into the notes from the audience. Yes. I think so. Before we do any more damage, this was one of our That's rougher right. entries. So. It, yeah, we. Mm, no, I'm not going to make a sex joke out of that. Kakulakayam. <laughs> yes, uh, has a comment. Uh, they ask, what makes us think that Amy is not a perfect psychological match? Um, she seems pretty well matched for him to me. I'm going to paraphrase. Uh, Consider June's fetish. If, if in addition to being his perfect physical ideal, she had been handcrafted by the GM to actively lust for him, he'd read that as non consent. Really good point, actually. Um, I think you you missed the word where he says consider June's consent fetish, and um, I didn't I didn't feel like June has a consent fetish necessarily. <laughs> but like now that he points this out, he he certainly would have a problem with it if the GM handcrafted her to be lusting after him, right? Yeah, and I, I think I'm assuming that he's using consent fetish in the same way that like Amaryllis misused it, which is yeah. to say he did it on purpose as a joke. But um, yeah, you know if if you make a sentient being that like if I if I made you a sentient being that was you know physically pretty well and super wanted to have sex with you, it's kind of hard to see what would be wrong with that. But it would feel icky, I know. right? Well, it, I, I think I think the problem is like he June would want the the person because it is like an actual person, not just like a you know pretty sex bot to like mm-hmm. like him for him, not not be I don't know invented to like him. Um, I mean, I think 
I think I see what Kekulay is saying here because that I mean the DM is all powerful, right? He could have scoured the earth for someone who's both June's physical ideal and would find him very lustworthy. He could have even fast forward and rewound time back and forth until he found someone like that. It's an interesting issue that June has that he thinks that if she was created by the DM, which is entirely plausible to lust after him, then it wouldn't count or that it wouldn't actually be consent, even though she really wants to have sex with him. Like it's that, that, that is what consent is, you know, I don't, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I guess I don't, I can see where June's coming from. I think it would just be something about having a, a mind crafted to like me would be weird. Um, it would. Yeah. But you know, he'd probably be fine with, I mean, it's a lot like letting Dobby, you know, clean your boots. I wouldn't want to make something that lived to do dirty work like that. But if he already existed and I'd be making him upset if he didn't if I didn't let him clean my boots, I'd let I'd let him clean my stuff, right? I mean, that's a lot like having small kids. Small kids want to oftentimes uh be involved and help around the house and bring you tools when you're working on the car or whatever. Is it bad to make them do small tasks like that because they want to do them? <laughs> I think uh it's like that, but up to up to eleven. Because you know, if you say no to the kid, he's not going to put his hands on the oven, you know, as punishment or something, yeah. right? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like, I guess I wouldn't have normally called it a consent fetish until Kiko pointed out that the DM created um, Amaryllis both to be his um, physical ideal and to not have any attraction towards June because that's what June needs to be happy in a relationship, hmm. which is fucking weird. But that's why it's a fetish right if she actually wanted him then that would be an issue for june maybe maybe i don't know i think that he's talked about how he might like it if that was the case but i also don't i guess i don't know what fetish means i mean i don't know if consent fetish is the right way is the right way to put it it's like he he wants to be desired for his own sake like legitimately yeah um you know which is hard when you've got a stupid dm that can fuck with anybody's brain at any time right yeah, that's what you don't want. Yeah. I mean, so, all right, th- this is going to get us too far into the weeds, but just to peek in there, if there was a drug that Amaryllis could take that would make her lust June, mm-hmm. uh, and she's like, hey, I got this cool drug. It'll make me really want to fuck you. Um, mm. Do you think he'd want her? Do you think he'd be cool with her taking it? If she wanted no, to. No, because I think he's June. But if she wanted to, and she's like, look, I don't currently feel that way, but you know what would make me feel this way? This cool drug I found. Uh, let's oh, give like, it a shot. I, I think it'd be a great idea, but my model of June says that June would be like, oh no, that's a, that's a bad thing. You shouldn't do that. It's not real or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Could be, could be. All right. Yeah. Keiko points out that wasn't that part of why he yelled at the DM that he didn't want to harem. <laughs> and I mean, the, the companions are an especially interesting point because first of all they are chosen throughout the the entire population of air and the dm brings them over he doesn't have to create any of them aside from possibly amaryllis uh, he can just choose people who are likely to like june anyway and also like june is not unattractive and he's smart and he's possibly the most powerful man on air those are all attractive qualities like it would not at all be surprising to have a bunch of women companions actually wanting to sleep with you so i don't know yeah, I feel like he's kind of played up the harem thing. I don't know if he's got just an inflated sense of ego or something, but mm. and I think he even goes through this after I did in my notes too, but it's like, look man, you've got a dwarf, a deer and a house. You know, it, <laughs> it, you're not all of your companions are are into you. And in fact, of your living companions, I think one of them would be down to bone you out of like, well, I guess Amaryllis probably counts too, but 
Um, Who's know, the other one? Uh, Val, but she's she's another she's in another relationship already, right? Yeah, yeah. So she's not down for it right now. Yeah, and Raven has shown no interest in it. So it's like you know he's they're, they're hardly all clawing at his bedroom door, uh, right? <laughs> except for except for Bethel, because she is his bedroom door, <laughs> or was was. Yeah. All right. Well, that was an interesting. It was an interesting comment from Keiko, which is why I wanted to pull it out. Yeah. Totally. Uh, the next one is from LHC, who says that uh, I feel like Steven and Inyash are having several really weird takes one after the other in a way that I think is a direct consequence of their getting so caught up in the absurdist comedy of the Shia fight that they stopped processing at, at stopped processing it as a deadly horrible event. Like, why did Gemma die? Narratively speaking. It's an interesting question and one that June actually ponders in the text, and basically all of the discussed reasons are valid, but the actual obvious main reason is basically completely ignored, because this was an extremely deadly and chaotic event. And frankly, the narrative is being very merciful to June by leaving his party out of the named death toll, with Palada as an edge case who's more major but isn't really dead. The Leviathan fight in Worm wouldn't be remotely as effective if the dead were all nameless out-of-towners. When you ford a difficult river in the Oregon Trail, people tend to die. When you engage in a complicated active firefight, people tend to die. When you set off a living nuke, people tend oh, wait, to die. Uh, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's I think, very good points. And I think a large part of the reason that we kind of overlooked, you know, people died because people tend to die in these situations and he actually got off really lucky is that it is such a meta book. I was thinking about the narrative reasons for this to have happened and for Gemma, like it wasn't just why did Gemma die? It was why did Gemma exist in the storyline? If she was just going to be basically show up briefly and then die, right? Like all those points are valid points, but we were thinking about the reason of the whole world is constructed. The DM knows things that are going to happen maybe and has some measure of control over them why what was the point of having Gemma in june's story and i think that's a different question maybe i agree i I think that we didn't focus on like the realism aspect that you know there was a one in three chance that everyone there was going to die uh because shia labeouf was in town um Mm -hmm. for the same reason that like hollywood doesn't right because it's this since this is like a story and not a bomb like the fact that it was only Gemma, this, this basically, you know, we only know her name. We know very little else about her. Um, mm. You know, she was brought in back to the group just in time to get killed by the cannibal. Um, like in real life, that'd be like the, the answer to why did she die? Because it's a, you know, a bomb went off in the form of a actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Mm. Uh, but in a story, I think it is worth asking, like, it, you know, it's getting caught in the narrative weeds. But um, that said, that's, this is probably why June doesn't like to live in that headspace all the time, right? Yeah. Because you can't help but think of people as plot devices yeah. or narrative beats to hit. And it's like that, you know, he didn't he didn't think for a moment, like, I wonder if Gemma had family that we should reach out to and send some money to or something, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, it was, I think she was reduced to being a narrative mystery. Yeah. I did have one thing which occurred to me after we had finished recording, which this reminds me of, uh, which is, I'm not sure if I'm remembering correctly, but uh, I do remember that in the sh- first Shia LaBeouf chapter, uh, Amarillo says that if he you say his name once, there's a 60% chance he'll appear. If you say his name three times, he is guaranteed to appear. And I think we only we saw his name said out loud exactly three times in this book, 
The first time when June said it accidentally <laughs> and they thought maybe he was going to come and he didn't. The second time when Bethel said it and she said, oh, don't worry, it doesn't work with me. And then the third time here when Hyathin said it and actually summoned him, it seems like we hit the magic number three and he showed up. I can't remember if Amarillo said that he said it three times he shows up guaranteed or not. Um, I know that in June's flashback, Arthur summoned him in the mirror doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. It was the third time we saw his full name, right? Well, so that it was spoken out loud. Um, yes, in the text. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. That's fun. Cool. Yeah, that's all I have. Nothing else. No, Just that's good. Neat little thing that I don't know if it was intentional or not, but could be. Maybe that is the entire reason that Bethel said his name out loud earlier, because Alexander realized that he could do that and he wanted to. That, uh, you know, that scans perfectly with me. I mean, it's a weird side thing for her. Like, other than keeping the cannibal on our mind, mm-hmm. it was, you know... There's no reason for Bethel to have done that science or told us about it, right? Yeah. Um, except, you know, then that way someone got to say Shia LaBeouf on camera. And mm. then that set us up for the third time someone said his name. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the show proper. Let's do it. And we are going to be looking over our notes as we say this. Because, the, no, that was a terrible. I'm, I'm I, gonna, I, that was, I think that was good. Okay. We're looking oh, at, our, at our notes, which our notes are summaries of... The notes from chapter 196, notes two. Yes. Uh, where we hear about uh, Raymer's, well, actually, it has a whole bunch of different notes in it, but we start out with Raymer's notes about the optimal build, where he um, lets us know that there is no optimal build. You can only rely on predictions about what the world is or will be like and your ge- and gear your character towards that, which, you know, I, oh, it's, it's realistic, I guess. It's, it's, I, prefer my games to be completely gameable uh at least in the abstract i guess when i actually play them that makes them get really boring really fast but yeah trade-offs are dumb and i hate having them yeah i had the same thought that it seemed like real life too um you know where do i put all of my effort into do i go into being the world's leading physicist you know the strongest heavy lifter on the planet an olympic swimmer astronaut you know eight decades is just not enough time to squeeze all that shit in right it's really not. It's super annoying. So we it's need, one of the reasons we need to have mortality. That's right. More time. And then we can all do all the things. Yeah. And that should only take approximately forever, which is as long as we need. So Right. It's perfect. I, I still have that guitar I purchased, thinking that once I retired, I would have time to learn it more. And I basically haven't at all. I completely Maybe forgot once that we you move. bought a guitar. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm retiring soon. I should have time. No. I say go for it. I, well, right now we're renovating, but once renovations are done and we are moved, I'm going to, I'm planning to start trying it again. Excellent. Yeah. Anyways, speaking of cool artifacts that people like to play with, uh, this first section is done entirely in the transcript of uh, Raymer, like talking to a quick quotes quill. I believe you remembered the name, which is fantastic. I did not remember it, but yeah, an in, entad in that writes down what he's saying. And if someone else says something, it doesn't write that down. But if he replies to them, it keeps writing down what he says. It's fantastic. And I loved it. And I love structure play in books. And this just made my day. Yeah, it made for really like fun, organized reading. Um, I don't know if the entad was called the quick quotes quill. That's what uh, Reader Skeeter used to like interview Harry in, I think, the original Harry Potter books. Yeah, but I, I mean, you remembered the name, whereas I did not. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, it's just rolls off the tongue. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you say it three times fast and child above runs up and eats you. Um, oh shit. Yeah. So it, it did. It, it was just, it was, it was a, it takes you a minute to realize what's going on. 
Mm-hmm. And then it, it's almost like you're being, uh, I don't know. It's like you got in there by accident, which it kind of did, right? Uh, yeah. In text, it got in there by accident. It's not like Alexander left it in there by accident. Right. Yeah. It, it made for fun reading. <laughs> it, it did. And it apparently does a pretty good job of knowing where to put line breaks, even though, um, I don't know, maybe there's some kind of command to do line breaks. <laughs> but even when he's talking to someone else, it does the break for when they're talking. I don't know. It's a cool Antad. Yeah. Antads are bullshit. And uh, that's why we love them. He he has this part where uh, he notices that it's talking, uh, writing down immaterial stuff when he's talking to Lissy, and he's like, "Fine, we'll take some scissors and cut out the conversation, I guess." And then he says, "Yeah, I can be the one to actually do it, <laughs> but this is all here, so he never did get around to it, which is just a great in joke for the reader." I you know read that and didn't quite process it that mm-hmm. this is working on a group project with Raymer. He's going to say he'll do it and then no, then not right. Yes. <laughs> he probably meant to and just never quite found the time. Yeah, I'm sure he's super busy, you know, not, you know, doing things other than helping uh, the next God King Emperor of the universe. Yeah. We do find out that uh, there's some things that star mages could do in the game that they can't do in real life, which worries me a little bit because it means that there's some things in the game that don't match to Arab and that could introduce some major complications in the future. If they're, you know, working off game knowledge and it turns out not to actually work yeah um there was some back and forth about uh the star magic stuff and i can't remember um if it was like he says it's different in the game than in real life and then she pushes back and he's like okay yeah well it's different it might be different in real life or something i think it's that she's she probably corrected him saying no, look, assume the game w- rules are the same as real life. I kind of read his response to be that, but I can't find mm. it when I'm skimming here right now. So, um, okay. yeah, I it could be the case. Um, I'd have to skim back through because that would be important if they're... Well, the thing is they played lots of games, right? Uh, yeah. No doubt they played a version where like level 10 still magic let you catch bullets like Neo, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not true that level 10 still magic lets you stop bullets, but they, they probably, you know, there's no reason to think that all of their hundreds of games followed all the air rules perfectly. Yeah. It'd be actually really boring if they did. So yeah, it's true. Yeah. Oh, here is the thing where your name came from. <laughs> he, he, Raymer says, speaking about, you know, the, the rules that it was all a janky mess. And then he says, Oh, come on. How's janky bigoted. And then he says, okay, yeah, I get it. When you phrase it like that, which, uh, which is, some great jokes that we're left trying to figure out what exactly it was and i guess we can kind of guess at it but uh the fact that the punchline is off screen is i think a good good quality joke there it's funny because like you said i can't remember what you what word you use something about like the language that this is written in or or the writing style um but uh structure play structure play yeah 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 uh the fun thing about this is that you know, it, it's, I'll give it even odds as to whether or not Alexander has an actual answer to that, right? Does he yeah. know what Lissy said, or do you just think it'd be funny to have this on, you know, have this part on camera? Yeah. Yeah. No idea. Oh. But if Janky is some slur and Janky McJankerson is an offensive name, I apologize. But <laughs> Lissy didn't speak into the microphone, so I didn't get to catch it. It might be something like how gypped apparently comes as a, uh, a term, as a term of insult for gypsies or something something yeah. i did not know for most of my life and then i was like really wow okay because i didn't like i spelled it j-i-p-p-e-d back when i was a kid that's what i thought it was and it wasn't until much later that i found out could be janky's the same kind of thing uh, it could be i know that um uh like spastic or spazzing is uh 
like a huge slur either in Australia or parts of Europe. I can't remember. Somebody with an accent that sounded like that on a comedy show mentioned it once. Oh, did they say why? Uh, I, it's, I think it might have something to do with like, you know, making fun, making fun of people who have involuntary motor functions or something. Um, I mean, yeah, that's what it always was referring to, right? No, I think spaz is like, you know, that person can't sit still. Not because they literally can't, but because they're, you know, have had too much sugar or something, right? Um, okay. I'm, I'm not really sure. But anyway, I, I learned that it was it was on like the scale of like fucking cunt over there. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Because okay. that's what they were comparing it to. All right. Yeah. Different countries be different, man. Different cu- different countries be doing different stuff. Uh, and of course, in like, parts of the world, you know, cunt is like, sup? You know, it's... it's yeah, uh, yeah. Like in Australia. Yeah. They know what's up. Yeah. Do they? Uh, well, they they know what's upside down. Okay, I was yeah. gonna say they're they're down under, so they know what's down. <laughs> and another great joke here was when he says canape canapes several different ways. We don't know how it's said, but it's all in there as a joke, and we are left to imagine how the different pronunciations must have been. I thought that was great. Yeah, it's great. Again, it was one of those where we just have to assume it, it's funny, and I assumed very well. Yeah, I and what's funny, and then uh, he says, "Sure, we can say it your way, canapes or whatever way." And they just talked about Amaryllis, Amaryllis having a stick up her ass, and then he says, "No, I think your stick is ass free." And nope, nope, your ass is stick free. What? What did I say? You you said your stick is ass free. Oh, great, nice. I, <laughs> Which I is awesome. Dyslexically turn my own sentence inside out. Um, yeah. But I just wanted to point out that politely, Lissy has a stick up, up her ass and yes. she's just used to it and likes the feeling because it's been there for <laughs> you know her entire life, right? Yeah. She wouldn't be I correcting wonder... his fucking grammar on written note- notation if, or his pronunciation on written notation if she didn't have a stick up her ass. Yeah. I wonder if he was saying it sarcastically or if, you know, he's just trying to, he, he said it seriously because he's trying to keep her happy. Uh, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Also, we get the line, um, well, now I have an incentive to rush it, don't I? Which implies that she said something about fucking him after it's over. Totally. Yeah. It's like, a, what is that? Like strip flashcards? Where it's like, right, I'm going to help you study. For every for every study you do, I'll remove an article of clothing. She's probably doing that for like every idea he has. Man, you had so much better study partners than I ever did. Oh, I this wasn't a thing. I saw this on like a TV show or something. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I, I wish my study groups were like that. <laughs> that I, would have actually, that would have been something i would have seen a lot of wieners i wish my uh specifically uh psychology is a female dominated major and ah. i think i'm trying to think of any like oh no there's one guy that i i'm like met and exchanged phone numbers with in college but more or less it was it was mainly women nice great major to choose then yeah <laughs> great great major to choose if you want a useless expensive piece of paper uh, yes unless you're gonna do something with it which i didn't so uh, or if you're looking for you know a partner to meet and uh then take care of you uh i didn't meet her at school i know but do you, you could have been looking if you oh sure tried. sure yeah if you're just going to college you know go nuts yeah all right anyways yeah so we're getting into the uh amaryllis part and then uh june makes some notes about ink magic i love the thing that ink magic the various um types of ink refer to uh his various game worlds that he created or played in the uh back on earth and they've figured out through i don't know enough experimentation on Arab that these inks come clustered in in what game world they relate to but they don't know that there's any fucking other game world on earth that these inks relate to it's just completely 
I don't know. I don't know what their explanation must have been on air for this, but good lord, it would have made it really frustrating. And I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like if the real real world ran on narrative instead of math. Yeah, it'd be and pure madness. The universe makes no sense. This everything makes exactly as much sense as you would think it would for a a flat planet. That's what <laughs> eight million miles across, or eighty thousand miles across, and has no mm-hmm. time zones. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's feel bad for everyone who tries to do proper science on air. <laughs> so then we get um, Valencia's notes on Infernals. When I first read this, it drastically changed my view of the Infernals, but ultimately didn't change anything in a practical sense, which is kind of cool the way that that worked out. Um, Infernals can't help being how they are like it isn't a moral failing i guess of theirs or or they got as she says they 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 have this physical need uh to witness the suffering of mortal species and if they don't like they become severely depressed and just i i i don't know what exactly the the analogy would be for humans but it's awful. They're created this way that they need suffering, much like we need like sleep or or sex or something. Not quite as badly as we need food because they can live without it. But like, if you just barely got by with the lamest scraps of food and you were constantly hungry and they always tasted like shit, like that that would be their experience without suffering. So they need it. Like they, we need flavor, you know. Yeah. Like, like we could, we could eat, you know. Like we could subsist on 800 calories of tasteless paste every day, right? Um, no, not just that. Because like, if we had to torture someone to get ta- flavor in our food, I don't think we would. But like, for them, it's worse than just oh, yeah. not having flavor. It's like flavor for life. life sucks. Man. Yeah, yeah, like life is miserable and awful. I, I mean, I'm, I, I know you remember being depressed too, and it was, it was a horrific way to be, and for them to like have been made by the dm to be this way <laughs> it it sucks and the only solution is to wipe them out because there's there is no way to fix that you know um they so i really like this too it's it's fun because like you said it's like oh okay yeah that they're they're suffering i didn't you know when i pictured demons i pictured them all you know gleefully taking turns shoving hot pokers into people right mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's really not how it works these people you know these these beings labor all day so that they might be able to throw a rock at a human on their way home you know like yeah it's it's remarkable and apparently like humans are outnumbered or uh yeah the the hell spawn outnumber humans like a thousand to one or something mm. um so you know and, and they can't get off by torturing each other um it's it's what's perfect about it is like you said at the end of the day it doesn't change anything they still all have to die um there's there's one caveat there which is like they've been trying to find another way to solve this problem Mm -hmm. but they haven't figured it out yet Um, Mm -hmm. so you know if if they can find some other way to give them you know all the fun they want that doesn't involve torturing people well then maybe that's the way to do it you don't even have to change them too much right yeah the other way to do it is like if you're god you snap your fingers and you make them have different preferences and things that you know get them going um, yeah, and that changes them radically. Happy. But wouldn't it just be great if, like, you could give them TV and, like, the one thing that, like, they was like just their best thing was just like Schadenfreude, like, yeah. you know, so like they, they just watch Saw and The Passion of the Christ over and over, right? Or just like that, you know, that kind of cringe feeling you get when you watch like, um, like some of the 
awkward social encounters in Seinfeld or what was that show that Larry David no. did? Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Right. It's yeah. all just like the, oh God, that's so awkward. Uh, maybe that's like their, you know, their distilled sugar, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But it it gave us a way in how their economy works, you know, when they're like, here's how we'll incentivize you guys. And it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. You know, they're going to recruit people by saying, we'll let you, you know, we'll let you personally shove a hot poker up this human's ass. Um, yeah. You know, that, that would be extremely motivating to these factory workers, right? Yeah. Kind of makes you wonder what they're building. Um, did you read this last line that that Val says? Um, that you might you might be tempted to feel bad for the infernals, mm-hmm. uh, dot dot dot. But the fact remains that they are what they are, and someday they'll all be gone. I did, yes. It's fucking tight. Um, it's just that that way of that finality to it, and then to ruin the finality, I had one more thought, um, mm. which was that the DM had to make hell at as like maximum misery as possible. Yeah, like it's, it's miserable for the demons yeah, too. They're not even having like the most fun they could. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just awful everywhere. It's maximum feel bad. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, I don't think that's the conventional version of of hell and stuff. Uh, so no, they you know e- even the ones who are making like you know life terrible for the humans, they're not even having a good time doing it for the most part. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Except for the, like, yeah, he said the few very rare warlords that had like thousands of humans that they could just torture whenever. It's like, yeah, God, is this inequality? Um, <laughs> it's definitely, and, definitely something. So my question to you is, is this just like a really cool way to make a hellion race and make it all kind of make sense and work? Or is this a metaphor for something? Uh, I think it's definitely a metaphor for something. I mean, it, you know, I did sort of just like kind of make a throwaway joke about how it's, you know, kind of like capitalism at its worst. Um, you know, I I bet there's something in there to dig at, but um, I'm not really usually good at picking those things up. Uh, it is also a cool way to make a Helion race for sure. Um, but everything's a metaphor, right? You know, th- there's a reason Alexander did it this way rather than, rather than another way. Maybe this was the only way he could think of to make a hell actually work in a realistic sense. I don't know. Maybe I mean the uh, the hell in um, Unsung seemed to work, and the demons there seemed perfectly stoked. Yeah, but the demons there like didn't have an economy and didn't like work for other demons. Really, they just tortured humans. Oh yeah, and this one needed some way of them to incentivize each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean that could be, but if that's the case, then it's unfortunate that the only way to motivate people seemed to be like, well, we'll make them sad unless they get unless they work really hard to get scraps of what they want. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, that sounds like a metaphor for something. If nothing, I don't want to say life, a... but <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, it was a really unique and cool way to create a hell. I had not seen this sort of thing before. Yeah, that was good. Um, there's there's more stuff in the chapter, but we can kind of burn past it. There was one thing I wanted to pull out, but um, like Amaryllis complains that like the standards aren't the same. I think uh like a mile is 5,120 feet rather than 5,280 feet. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's still a mile. It's still approximately the same, but if you're trying to do like any deliberate, uh, um, importing of earth stuff, you just, ha- you have like these math, you know, these math headaches. Yeah. You got a ton of work. you got to actually do to figure out how, what the measurements should be. And there's no reason that it should be that way, except for probably just to make things hard on Amaryllis. Right. Yes. That is my that is my assumption to make it harder to to 
Raymer the system. Yeah. Uh, we get the names of the months and days. Uh, when I glanced at them, I'm like, I thought they might have been rotate, you know, some sort of uh, one-time pad rotations. Or if they're one-time pads, then I have no idea what they could be. But I thought they might have been, um, like, uh, ciphered names mm-hmm. of his of Arthur's friends. But oh. even the number of letters don't really match up. Um, oh, okay. I mean, I don't think there's any friend with three letters, so which is one of the months. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so the, the other thing was the timelines. Um, and I wanted just to grab the uh, the first couple things from Uther's thing, because he it looks like he has like nine years before he has his first son. Um, and uh, three of those were being uh, traveling bard. And then after he has his kid, uh, well, I guess second kid, third kid. All right. Three years after he has his children, um, mm-hmm. there's immediately one after another. Ice wizards, apocalypse demon, wandering blight. Um, they're, they're within like three years of him having his, his last kid. And the only reason to bring that up is because those are like the big feats that we've heard about. And okay. I don't know, but when I hear that he grabbed some interdimensional hammer to smash an apocalypse demon across the plains, I assumed that'd be like an adventure for like his thirties, mm-hmm. um, not an adventure for, you know, his early twenties. Like he just, he's, he didn't just get here, but um, I guess not his early twenties. He would be about 30. But you, you see what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Like th- that strikes me more Seems as like, a like an end of the campaign badassness, right? Yeah. So I, he just kept getting more and more badass. I guess. Yeah that that was an early campaign. <laughs> that's that's the crazy <laughs> part. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, that was all I wanted to pull out was like most of the crazy, insane shit we heard Uther, Uther do was when he was still basically getting his sea legs at adventuring. I mean, that makes you wonder, like, how insane the shit later on was. Maybe that's why they started having to, like, go to alternate planes of of existing as concepts and shit. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, he went on for, like, 25 years after he, you know, defeats the Apocalypse Demon. I feel like that's the capstone quest, you know? <laughs> but Nope. I guess not, yeah. Um, so, the Eventually last... you get so bored smashing demons, you just gotta dive down an empty pit for one month. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, that's another like kind of funny dig. Bethel didn't make the timeline of important Uther events. Oh, um, I just I, I just liked noticing that. Um, and uh, June's been on air for like three months, and some of the things like I you know it's easy to forget how quickly they happen one right after another, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they they kill Amon two days later is the unicorn, and the very next day is Larkspur. Yeah, which means that the night after the unicorn basically was when they first bumped into him in town and then he chased them down in that field. Like it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they've been, they've been real busy. Didn't, didn't they bump into him before the unicorn? And then like, Oh yeah. At the, uh, at the library. Yeah. And yeah. then he chased them down afterwards. That was awesome. It was. Okay. So next chapter, second degree, second chapter. Let's do it. All right. So 197, second degree, starts with a letter from Tiff where she repeatedly says what the actual fuck while recounting the difference between like the June she knew and the June of three months later, who is on his way to taking over the world. And I I could just I was imagining being in her place and what an absolute mind fuck that would be if like fucking I don't know who's someone we both know, Brian, that the guy who was on the podcast before me with you. Like if we find out all of a sudden that he's been slaying Russians and is taking over all of Eastern Europe and uniting them all 
in, in, in under his command, we'd like, what the fuck are you, is even happening here? And doing things that are literally physically impossible. Yeah, the the example I used was like it'd be like if you just disappeared for a month, and then I heard about how you personally built a rocket to fly to Russia, and then you beat up Vladimir Putin and all of his guards in single combat. Like, oh shit! I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I did not read that before I made my comment I, about Russia. Now I feel I, like I stole that. No, from no. Me. I'm glad that we actually hit the same beat. The same beat, right? Um, okay. It's it's uh, politically salient, and um, but it's just funny because <laughs> like if if like you know again. You know, I haven't heard from from Inyash in a few weeks, and then like I see on the news, like you're standing there on the top of a pile of bodies holding Putin's head on a stick, and I'm just, right. I'm like that. That's where he's been. How the hell? <laughs> so that's that's poor Tiff. She's got a bit of a, you know, how do you even cope with this, right? Yeah, she says. And then the next day, there was all this stuff about a gold dragon, and this like after he killed Onion, and then dozens mm-hmm. of people dead, and apparently a naked man with incredible powers that you stopped dead in his tracks. And I'm just wondering, like, did the papers also say that all the Lost King's horses and the uh, uh, assembled Avengers team couldn't slow him down and he actually stopped him twice? Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Although he cheated. He had a paper bag. Well, that's right. I mean, everyone else had them. They just refused to use them. So, mm-hmm. But June replies to his letter, and her letter, and he says, uh, I have to tell you that you might be in danger. He sends bodyguards. He says, if they do, like they being people who want to uh, use use her as leverage to control June. If they do come for you, it hurts me to say it, but I won't save you. And I personally don't believe him. I think we've actually seen him say somewhere that he would, in fact, go and uh, save his old friends if he had to. Um, but hopefully, if like someone does intercept this letter and read it, then they will believe him. Um, I think like the real threat here is the DM. Like the DM has to believe June when he says this, which I think is kind of impossible because the DM knows everything about June and knows better. So maybe like the, the only thing you can hope for is that the DM doesn't think this is going to be interesting enough to pursue. It's not going to be a cool enough story to have somebody go after his old uh, bumblefuck friends. And so he won't go there. And like, maybe this is June trying to hint in that direction. Like, no, it's really not going to be a good story for you, man. Could be. I don't, you know, you're right. You can't lie to the DM. Um, I, I hope to, I, I think that he's probably just not thinking at that level because you can't win that game, right? You can't bluff God. So like, um, I, I don't remember any pre- other time where he said that, like, I'm not going to come in and, you know, rescue you or something like publicly and then did the opposite. But you're probably thinking that if that did happen, I forgot it. But if it didn't happen, you're probably thinking it did because that's an extremely common thing that every hero and every good story does. Right. Yeah, they they tell people, nope, you can't use them against me, against le- you know as leverage, and then they're like, well, we're going to try anyway, and then they get their asses whooped, right? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's- I think there was something when he first discovered that there was a bumblefuck here, or maybe oh, that's when right. his mom first showed up. He makes yeah. a joke about like, oh, I don't care about them. They're they're like not even you know they're just they're random people on this place. And yeah, everyone doesn't believe it. And Paladin, I remember, is like, I don't even know you, and I don't believe that. Uh, mm-hmm. He's like, okay, fine, I care a little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Good point. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyway, he the heroic thing to do is tell everyone that you don't care about your hometown or friends or family, but then you really do come save them and annihilate the shit out of anyone who tries to fuck with them. Yeah, and maybe the DM will know that that's such a cliche and it's been done a million times that he won't bother. Could be. I mean, you know, it's a cliche. It's getting there just in time. You know, if if June hears that she's in danger and he gets there 
like fully a day late and she's, yeah. you know, like long dead. Um, that's, that's another thing that can happen, right? Maybe June now has intelligence services and anyone who starts even thinking about it, he'll have them snuffed early. So that could be another way to, to could be. avert the cliche. I kind of wonder if he's totally bluffing about the like protection that he sent. I would, I believe him that he sent protection of what, of what variety, like a couple frogs with guns. Um, yeah, maybe. I guess, but if they beat the letter there, then she'd be very confused why they're following her around. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they brought the letter. That's that's a good point. Yeah, he does get a cool new entad, the Crown of Eyes, which I had to pull out partly because you know we see it um, in the reading, uh, but also because like holy shit, he can see through the eyes of everyone in a fifty foot radius and make sense of it. And he points out that this also lets him know everyone with uh, that's around him in a 50 foot radius and what they're paying attention to like this is insanely awesome and tad yeah mini maps are for chumps this is the real way to do it hell yeah uh you know this is a um lh lhc brought up the leviathan fight and worm and this is a lot like what the protagonist does she's the bug girl and eventually she gets good enough to like kind of you know you can't quite see through a beetle's eyes but you get a swarm of them and you can get a good enough idea um So it's it's kind of like that, and uh, the the main magic of this helmet isn't just, as far as I'm concerned, seeing through other people's eyes or more than one person at once. It's not being absolutely driven to throwing up like all over yourself right away the second you try. Yeah. So it it lets it gently incorporate into your your sense input. I get the feeling Bethel would love the fuck out of this entad since she had so many problems with her sensorium. That's a good point. You think that's that's probably what this would help her do. Um, in addition to like its given power, yeah, it'd probably help with sensorium, you know, massaging. But other than that, like, I don't even feel like should should get much from the primary purpose of this. She can already no, see I, where everyone's looking all the time. Yep, yep. Yeah. So they they get a couple more fun end ads. They get magic shot glasses that um I think if you pour something into one, it shows up in the others. Is that something like, like that? That's the trick. And if you uh you know. Since June gets to flex the rules because he's a special snowflake, um, you can loosely interpret a rolled up note as a beverage. And so mm-hmm. they can communicate at range. Um, mm-hmm. He gets the Messiah's shotgun, which when I was putting my notes together, I realized must be called that because it's like basically spray and pray, right? I didn't pick that up. That's very clever. But that's a really funny name. Spray and yeah. pray is, you know, just basically shoot a bunch at the enemy and hope to hit them. And this, this yeah. does that, but the main thing that this thing does is you don't hit your allies, or no, they're immune to it. Um, oh, no, it says no, the I shot. I think he said it just. Yeah, the shot would yeah. simply miss them. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's miraculous, even. It is. Um, the And then a pistol that's anti-memetic. Um, mm-hmm. I think, what is it, like a full minute? After uh, it's drawn, yeah, yeah, nobody knows. This could have been used for one of the, sh- you know, one of the ways to kill Onion. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. Oh, I, I guess it's part of the antimimetic nature of it. I was going to say he would notice June's hand going up and pointing at him, but no. not if he literally couldn't, right? Yeah. So yeah, that could have been one of the one of the one of um, what's his butt's lives. So it might have been able to be all three of them, if depending on how long the resurrection takes. That's a good point. Yeah, the flesh rotting bit at the end of there um, might take some time. Oh to, yeah, probably would have taken some time. You're right. Yeah. So it probably only have been one life, but still. Yeah, still would have been helpful. Yeah. Uh, I just like how, and they get it, they get into this a little bit later with, um, you know, because of June's, he says, 
uh, I was a special snowflake and things worked differently for me. So we worked on, we spent an afternoon working on abusing degrees of reasonableness mm-hmm. and that plus like the six eyed virtue uh, lets him, you know, the thing is, I think that they say at some point that like six degrees of reasonableness lets you say a is B. Yes. And no, that was five. That was five. So six would let you say a is paper. No, a is one. Oh, okay. See, yeah, I, and then seven was like a is paper. I, I, I mean, I wonder if this is in a rule book somewhere. I mean, is, is degrees of reasonableness a thing that you ever remembered from actual D and D? No, not even close. So I, I wonder how they operationalized this or if this is just like kind of agreed upon. Cause you can't write down all of the caveats for 10 degrees of reasonableness. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's, it's, uh, he, he, one of the things he gets is this, um, amulet that lets him transform into five animals, but you don't have to squint that hard to realize that humans are animals. Yeah. And he just says like, no, that's, that's true. And Amaryllis is like, well, no, they're mortal species. They got souls. And he's like, but they're animals. Grack, prove it. <laughs> and he, he turns into a uh, dwarf and uh, very briefly tries it out, misses that misses his penis and then turns back. Um, <laughs> but I'm thinking that there's no reason that he shouldn't be able to transform into a dragon. Hmm. I mean, I, especially with the virtue where he can now get two degrees of reasonableness, right? Yeah. It's been two for a while. Um, and then I thought it, it was just one. And uh, I think I, I, I can't remember. Um, Is it? I feel okay. like it was two, and then there's something with a six-eyed virtue, and I can't remember exactly what that did. But um, okay. the 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 long and short of it is that he he gets to he gets to squint when interpreting the rules, right? Mm-hmm. At the very least, at the, end, at the end of this chapter, with that um, uh, nearest and dearest or whatever it's called perk, um, there's no way that he's not going to be able like if he can get a dragon into the domain of the locus, yeah, then he's totally able to do it there. I I figure that'd be pretty hard though. Well, I mean, next time... To get a dragon into that domain. Next time uh, the one with the book fetish shows up, she was amenable. Okay, I see. Just like getting her onto the keychain? Yeah, yeah. What's the use of being able to turn into a dragon just in the uh, Lokes' domain? I guess he no, can no, find just, some just way to, to Just to enchant the amulet, and then he can take the amulet elsewhere. Mm, I think he'd have to do some serious sweet talking to, to the layman to get him to agree to it outside of the locust domain. Like I get the feeling as soon as he left it, the layman would be like, Oh shit. What, what was I drunk or something? No, you can't do that. Well, and he steps back in and the layman's like, Oh yeah, totally friend. I think that you just say no backsies. You, you agreed to it. It's already in there. <laughs> yeah. I believe the layman can call backsies at any point. Well, that's, that's uh, hardly fair. Yes. Well, it doesn't have to be fair when it's a dictatorship. <laughs> yeah. Can't argue with that. Um, so he, says that when he makes ink tads and then uh, he says ink magic and tads, I don't know why no one had coined it before, but I was going to try and make it happen. Mm. And I said, that's so fetched. Go Eugene. <laughs> Is that from mean girls? Yeah. Awesome. I haven't actually seen it, but you're familiar with the line where I think it was Rachel McAdams that says, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's never going to happen. And yes. That just supposed to be some version of cool. I think, but yeah, he's going to make it land. Ink tads land perfectly. So yeah. Um, what are the, what are the what's the, even the real name? I don't remember anymore because Inktads is so catchy. It is. It's much better. Uh, one of the swords. It sounded kind of pointless till they did some science with it. Um, it's the reflection blade, and mm. Amaryllis volunteers to get cut, and then he just like has to will it, and she's cut on the other side, and then like on the back, and um, then she says, you know, no, no, it's fine. You've cut yourself open to put bones inside. I'm not going to be more of a wimp than you. Just do it, mm. and more of a wimp than you. 
so it you know means that she thinks he's a wimp to some degree. Oh, okay. That's why it's funny. Got it. I think that she was impatient because she'd been cut something like 40 times at this point or whatever. So she's like, no, I'm fine. I'm not going to be a bigger bitch than you, June. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Just through gritted teeth. Um, yeah. But then you can heal with this thing too. That was crazy. And I guess they already got prosthetics for Amaryllis. Um, I think June's rocking with just like a peg leg or something for now because he wants the level up to like he doesn't want to get a really good prosthesis lest the level yeah. up think it's like sufficient. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if they could have used this to fix her arm and eye. Uh, probably not because it, huh? Now I don't know if it would have had to be, did it have to be the wounds inflicted by the sword or could it uh, heal any wound? I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily want to try this, but one way to try it would be to cut off her good arm above the shoulder, like above the part where her other arm is missing. Yeah. And then fix her arm and then mirror that fix the other side. Huh? But, I mean, definitely start testing on animals first. Yeah, this this is probably one case where I, I would endorse animal testing because they don't have to be conscious for it either. So, um, and, uh, I, I wanted your your thought on this. He has some mm. argument with his group about um, like the usefulness of this healing sword, or that the, the fact that the sword can heal. And he's like, I don't get injured all that often. Mm. And they all like you know give him looks. And she says, Raven says, how many times have you died in the last few months? And he's thinking about it. And she says, the fact that you're thinking about it should put some fear into you. Mm -hmm. And he says, I don't think loop deaths count. And if you don't count those, I haven't died once. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And like, I kind of feel like he's right. Like, yes, he gets injured, but it's always, uh, it's always fixed to level up. Yeah. And so, you know, it's possible, you know, especially as level ups get further and further apart because he's getting higher level. Um, But I think that's the, the main fear. Yeah, he could. I mean. He there's lots of times where he's um, been injured and fixed himself by burning his own bones or uh, shoving fairies in his mouth or something like he gets injured a ton. That's a good point. But I guess like when he gets really injured, you know, like, you know, enough to, I guess, where those don't work, then other methods suffice. But now that he has this. um, And you're right. Like the implication here is that uh, the sword can heal other injuries because they were like, yeah, you get injured a lot. The sword can help you. Yeah. Well, we'll 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 see what it does with it. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah. And also, I, I think it would just be a, an yeah. awesome flex. You know, like imagine if you had this with those guards in uh, mm-hmm. the torture prison. He cuts off their fingers, then reattaches them, and he's like, "I can unreattach them if you don't give me what I want." Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or just you know, someone has cut you to ribbons, and you just stand there holding a sword, staring at them, and everything heals up while you're looking at them. That would spook him. Yeah. I guess the sword is like nice to have in case you're out of fairies or bones or something. Yeah, totally. Um, I, this is this funny. Uh, crack says, yeah, plus a leg and most of a hand against the cannibal. And June says, well, he's a cannibal. It's not his fault. It's society that failed him. And nobody laughs. I thought it was funny. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it wasn't laugh out loud funny. It's an obvious deflection and it's obviously not the case. It's just like, it's another kind of like, he's not my dad joke, you know? Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I like that June's always tr- joking around and trying to keep this, keep this light, keep this going. Me too. Yeah. Right. Last one here. That's an actual D and D question, and I'm wondering if like Sable has been sloshed out of the story. Oh no, wait, because she furnishes the room with Sable. Okay, good, because that'd have been really confusing. Um, he is trying to make a portable hole with mm-hmm. uh, ink magic, and if I'm not mistaken, isn't Sable exactly that? Yeah, basically, yeah. So he Even just wants better. another one. I think so, yes. Okay. Uh, for some reason, I 
got had in my head that he was talking about something else that they don't have yet. I'm like, I think you have the best one of those, man. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, anything else you want to cover from this chapter before I wrap it up? I think that's it. All right. I mean, the, the last thing that happens is Amaryllis uh, turns into a pretty bird and flies around. Mm. And June said, it says, uh, I watched her with a kind of wonder, not just at the display of magic, but because I was starting to admit to myself that I really was in love with her. Oh, man. I know. He's, he's having feelings. It's very cute. Yeah. Sexual feelings. Well, speaking about those feelings, let's get into chapter 198, Purient Interest. I love it. This, this was an amazing chapter. So I, I took a note somewhere early on that they're going to want to measure June's dick like as a joke. Mm-hmm. And then as the chapter goes on, it seems like they're actually going to do that. <laughs> um, I think it was just once Amarillo said they're going to need 12 hours of prep time. And so I was like, oh, what? Like, are they going to get all the way down to like, you know, <laughs> no, no, make it erect so we can check the number against what Amarillo's told us, right? Um, right. And I, it seems yeah. like probably actually. So, well, I don't think they actually did that once we actually get to the uh, inspector at the end. Yeah, he, he kind of breezes through it, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think he would have mentioned that if he had to drop trow and explain. But, um, mm. you know, I guess if that's the case, then there was never any pretend reason why Amaryllis needed to, you know, be like, well, I should have, you know, an idea of what it looks like for the, for the inspectors you see. Um, it was just I still all, think it's probably a good idea, especially if something, it, it's a very easy to avoid failure mode that probably isn't going to happen, but you know what? Just take a look at it because who knows? I should probably know what your semen tastes like just in case they ask, right? <laughs> and they test, you know, cause they don't believe me. I, wow, that's, that's a bit further than I, than I was thinking. That's how far she went. Well, I mean, I don't think she was doing that for the purposes of the marriage inspection. No, I know, but it transitioned so quickly to that. Uh, yeah. It, anyway, it, it, it's funny, and we'll get there. The You pulled up the solace stuff, and I want to talk about that, but the, the lead-up to it was great, because it was, uh, June asks her about it, and she's like, you know, well, that's not part of the marriage inspection. And he says, no, cut that, cut it out with that shit. Stop brushing it off and talk to me. And I just, I loved that solid husbanding right there. You know, he's like, no, I'm not going to let you dodge this. If you want to dodge it, you can, you can say so, but you don't get to be like slippery about it. And he even says, I ask you one serious question and you're like a slippery social ninja. Please speak to me. Think about it like this. If you turn me away, you're training me to let things fester. And I had to just give him a high five for that solid social ninjutsu right there. Right. I was really good. It feels like he's learned a lot from the Fen relationship because that's basically what was happening with the Fen relationship for both of them. And now he's like, no, now last time that happened, our relationship fell apart and I don't want to do that again. And luckily they're both, uh, I don't want to say both grownups. Um, cause that's, they're both grownups in the, in the way that Fen wasn't right. Um, okay. Yes. In that particular way. Uh, yeah. They, they, they can look at the, the scary, hard to talk about stuff right in the face. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, June isn't 18 yet, so he is still but a child. Right. And and he got molested this episode. Didn't he turn 18 at some point? They mentioned that he I turned 18. So. Yeah, it was like at some he'd been here long enough for, it to, for his 18th birthday to have passed. Okay, so now it's okay that he had sex. Yeah, yeah. The day of, you know, at midnight on his 17th birthday. Yes. Or on his, oh, okay. uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm kosher. sorry. I'm just. I got. I, I had to give you a little bit of shit. No, no, you're good. <laughs> it's not my real stance, so it's funny. Uh, All right, cool. We'll, we'll dig yeah. at it a little bit. I'm sure here later. So, uh, I, yeah, we probably will. So, yeah, they are talking about solace, uh, which they are talking about specifically in the context of Amaryllis having given birth to her and what she had expected out of it. 
And she said that like she had this child idea in her head that she'd built up, but it wasn't anywhere close to real. The real child was a full-grown woman who at best was suffering through some cognitive and hormonal impairments. And she didn't view Amaryllis as the mother at all. And Amaryllis says, I think it's one of these places where there's an ethical case for soul magic because she really wanted a kid and she was putting so much of herself on that and it just got ripped out from her. And so she wants to modify herself so it doesn't hurt so much anymore. And like, my thing is I don't have a fucking clue what she is feeling. I've, I just, the whole, I want to have children is an abstract desire. Like she started out saying, I've always wanted to have children. I knew I want children, stuff like that. And like that, that is really weird and foreign to me. Like I can meet individual children. I have met my nieces now and one of them is adorable. And I'm like, I wouldn't mind like, you know, being doing some dad stuff with, with a kid like this, but I've never like as an abstract concept been like, I would like to make children and raise children. It's just a weird thing. And I don't, I, I don't personally grok it. And for me to understand it would take like a lot of explanation and metaphor and like really good dense fiction about it, but we don't get that. And that's okay. Alexander Wales seems to think it's like common enough among humans that he can just state it. And pretty much everybody's going to understand it except for, you know, some few weirdos like me and sure. Uh, I can't relate to it, but most people do. And that's good enough. Um, but I think that I, just uh, on, on that beat, cause I think you're going to change gears a little bit here in a second. Yes. Um, I think that is a safe bet because most people have kids mm-hmm. and I, it's a fair bet that probably at least half of them wanted those kids. So yeah. we can say that, you know, something like 40% of people want children. Um, at, at least. Yeah. I, yeah. I hope so anyway. So, you know, it, it does seem to be a fairly universal thing. That's why there's a lot of people running around. I, yeah. I can, I can kind of get the impulse. I have no desire to have my own kids, but I, you know, like you said, hanging out with your nieces, especially once they get old enough to talk mm-hmm. um, or at least like old enough to talk about something that they can finish a sentence on and still remember what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I realize I can barely do that. Um, <laughs> Maybe they could teach you a thing or two. There's, there's nothing appealing to me about the idea of staying up all night for five years, ch- you know, getting shit under my fingernails and just being constantly worn out. But then, you know, you watch a kid read their first sentence from a book and you're like, Oh my God, this is the most meaningful thing I've ever done in my entire life. Or so I'm told mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people, I guess can anticipate that, that state of mind. Yeah. And I guess we can't. So yeah. lucky us. We don't have to have kids. <laughs> Our money and exactly. sleep is ours. Huzzah. If you don't have kids, you too might be able to retire at a relatively early age. <laughs> The reason I was leading up with all that saying, I'm sure most people have this feeling and I just don't, um, because she brought up the soul magic thing. And that is one of the major reasons I don't think that someone else should be stepping in to regulate when Amy, or anyone else for that matter, can do soul magic to herself. Because, like, where is there any justification for me to say, I can't sympathize with your pain, so F you, you aren't allowed to soul modify to fix it. Like, if someone wants to soul modify or take hormones or do whatever, go ahead. Let them. I don't care. It's your body. And I still feel like Amaryllis got, um, damn it, now the word gypped is on my head because we Mm -hmm. said it earlier in the episode. Non-racistly gypped. Yes, she got non-racistly gypped by uh, having June say, like, no, you can't just soul modify unless everybody's okay with it, because that's some bullshit. What's fun is that this is, like, my favorite go-to example of 
soul modification, we definitely used it when the subject came up initially, right? Um, mm-hmm. so, like what happens if your if your child dies or something? Because um, it's a it's a great intuition pump. I can think of one case where it would make sense to like you know, and I don't know if this is a rule for the group or just for Amaryllis. I'm pretty sure it's for the group. Um, in fact, yeah, it was. I think it is a group. Yeah, because June yeah. says he broke his promise or he bent it. Um, mm-hmm. But all right, let's say that like he felt really bad about killing some people. And so he just cranked down his value for human life because Ooh. he found that it was too stressful to sit there buried with the guilt of all those Tung that he killed. Yeah. Right. And that is the kind of thing that just fast tracks him straight down the hill to dark Lord. Right. Yeah. That's the kind of thing you'd want to talk to your friends about, even though you're, all you're doing is, is fixing this, this emotional problem that you're dealing with. It's keeping up at night, giving you panic sweats and stuff. Right. It's a, it's a personal private problem. Right. Okay, um, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I realize this is not an a, that this is an atypical case and doesn't translate well to Amy's situation, but uh, yeah, I think it it stops being a personal private problem once you start murdering a lot of people because you turned it down all the way. Well, it only it's only a problem once he starts killing people, but at that point they're already dead, right? So this is the kind of thing you might want to ask your friends about first. Be like, hey guys, I'm staying up all night, terrified, you know, with myself about having you know killed those people. Um, yeah. I was thinking of just making it so I didn't care about killing people. And they'd be like, that's a really stupid idea, June. Um, you know, here's the thing. If there was some other way to restrain the killingness, I think actually that might be a fine idea. Um, the main problem being like, we don't think there is any way to restrain June from killing if he really wants to. But if, if there was something he could do that would ensure that he would never be able to kill anybody, then <laughs> jacking down that value might not be a bad idea. He could... You could turn up how much he likes not killing people. <laughs> uh, not not turn it all the way up to the stratosphere, but just up some. Mm-hmm. And so that he's more inclined not to kill them just because he likes not killing people, right? Sure, that might work. We we could test it. I don't know if I would want to be that kind of person, but yeah. I'm also not the kind of person who is living a life where I'm probably going to have to kill hundreds of people, right? Yeah. So as long as you're there, maybe messing with your brain and and uh you know your the the functions that that tweak your soul or whatever uh maybe that's the way to make you know make him safe right that mm-hmm. this is kind of you know if he's going to be the god of the universe and he, he can he can sort of program himself via his spirit like it is kind of like trying to make him a friendly with a capital f being right yeah so you know can can we make him uh, when when he's God tier, will he be safe? Um, mm. Maybe the only way to do that is with very very careful uh, tweak tweaks and modifications. That is going to be fucking epic if he like near the end of the book goes and just tweaks and modifies and has this whole committee on how to make him the perfect uh, perfect non um, unfriendly AI just before he ascends. That would be fun. Yeah, AI safety council. I can at least imagine, I guess I don't know how the story ends, but I can see someone making like a divergent, you know, ending um, Mm -hmm. and they, they wrap it up that way. However, this one ends. I think that'd be great. Yeah. All right. So we do um, talk about this promise thing right now where uh, Amaryllis like made a promise not to self-modify. And she says, if I went back on my promise, you would know that I made a second promise that when I made a second promise that it would need to be taken with a grain of salt. And June says, I went back on my promise with the Bethel thing. It was spirit, not soul. 
And I had to think about that for a second. I was like, what? When did he go on back on the promise? And I was like, oh, that's right. Because he strangled down his spirit a bit. So he didn't feel as bad about getting raped and was actually able to talk to Amaryllis about it instead of just hiding it in shame forever. But um, yeah, he says, I, I did go back on my promise a little bit there with the Bethel thing. And Amaryllis says, I take your promises with a grain of salt. Oof. And yeah, that, you know, kind of painful, but it's fair. And it's kind of awesome. Um, I I like that she's so direct and honest about it. And it, it, it's it's like, it's true, right? But also like she lives in a world that I can't live in because to me, it seems like just dead obvious that there could always be extenuating circumstances that will nullify a promise. Um, like, you know, getting raped by your house or something. Um, it, and, and so I understand that all promises and quotes have that as a caveat in them. And, and so they're more like, you know, really strong suggestions than promises. And I think that's the default Western attitude, uh, unless I'm really wrong about things, which is, I mean, I think it's, reasonable and natural and fine with me but also i am a westerner and maybe this is a possible way that we are inferior that we don't believe in promises at all anymore and uh don't hold it against people when they break a promise that has very strong and good extenuating circumstances i i don't know enough about other cultures in the world to know if like some other culture has like a more steadfast view on promises um and, you know, depending on the promise you break and why, I think society understands. Um, well, absolutely, society understands, but I don't think that was always the case. Like, maybe in the medieval times, if you broke a promise, it doesn't matter that you did it because you were saving somebody's life. You you still had to be punished. Like, when you hear about the um, the the exception to the rule you can't work on Sunday is unless it's saving someone's life, like, they had to make that exception because otherwise people would have been like, nope, not working Sunday. And you die now. Yeah, it, God didn't think through the whole thing when he made that such a strict rule. Um, the, I mean, I, that's just nothing I'd consider moral progress. I was going to say that like, so my, my first thought was like, well, it sounds like your implicit promise not to kill me because we're friends should be taken with a grain of salt. Um, <laughs> no, if I made it an explicit promise, you could take it with a grain of salt. Well, because it's implicit, then, you know. Well, then then I, I was thinking, well, if I went insane and started trying to kill you, you'd be more than welcome to break that promise and kill the <laughs> fuck out of me, right? Right. And frankly, I would encourage that. Um, you know, if you can <laughs> subdue me in some other way, that'd be great. But if you can't, you know, um, put me down. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think having promises be very strong suggestions seems like a seriously legitimate way of viewing them, right? I, I don't think that, you know, because you mentioned this before with like the um, the marriage vows being a serious deal on Arab. Like, yeah, I think that, yeah, you know, what happens if you break a, a contract? You know, I promise I'll pay you rent in this amount every month. And then I just stop. And it's like, okay, well, nothing really happens because there's all kinds of protections for, you know, squatters and um, give me a year and I might get 10% of that money back and then I get my house back. Right. Um, mm. So, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's one avenue, but you know, if, if, um, if I promise I'll feed your pet while you're out of town and then I just like, don't, um, I think, you know, you're, you're justified in being super, super pissed at me. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But so, I mean, it, that's, there's somewhere between like a unbreakable vow and then promise and then like request mm-hmm. and then maybe assumption is at the other end of that. Um, I mean, what if like I didn't feed your pet because um, 
my mother died out of state and I had to go identify her body and, uh, and go to her funeral. Yeah, if you spent the entire weekend pulling orphans out of a burning building, like I totally understand, right? Yeah, but I, I, I agree with you. And I do think this society is better. But I also like, I don't know how much of that is my own cultural lenses because maybe someone else would have been like you should have fucking either fed the pet or made sure someone else did because you promised regardless of you know whether your mom died or you were pulling orphans out of burnings or whatever yeah i mean i suppose again i think that's that's a worse way to run a society but yeah i think you're I, i like that you know this is something i'll try and keep my mind on for the foreseeable you know for the next few decades about just how much of my like preferences are society goggles um mm-hmm. Because I think that's perfectly legitimate. You know, granted, if you had to fly out of town, like in your first example, you send a text to somebody and say, hey, look, you know, can you do this thing I said I would do? I've got something really important came up. You know, hopefully you could do that. Um, hmm. But it'd be kind of understandable if you forgot, you know. Uh, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, I guess that is, yeah, that that would be the thing. Like, if if you made no effort to get the thing done anyway, in this case, the feed my pet example, like it's then I'd be, I'd be more upset with you. Um, than I would be if, if, uh, you would just pass the chore off to somebody else. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe, but I don't know where Amaryllis gets her, her notion of promises from maybe kind of like, um, methods of rationality. Maybe that's a Slytherin thing. Uh, mm. they, they all make such a big deal about like, do you promise? Are you telling the truth or whatever? Yeah. And it's like, you know, people can just say stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that like lesson one in Slytherin college? Um, if someone says, yes, I promise, like that rule number one, they might they might not be being honest. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. My, my last thought on that was that, you know, Sam didn't leave Frodo just because Frodo started being annoying. I think there's yeah. there is something heroic about sticking to your promises. Yeah. And so maybe that's kind of the culture Amaryllis was brought up with. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Imagine, if, imagine you know, if sticking with Frodo meant letting him keep the ring because he wanted to leave Mount Doom, right? Yeah. And it's like, if, if things hadn't ended with him dangling, dangling over the edge, but like deciding whether or not to walk into the mountain, mm-hmm. then I think Sam should hit him in the head of the rock and throw the, bring, throw the ring in the fire, right? Yeah. And like, fuck his promise to Gandalf at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. And, I wonder, like, I, I am really curious, and I, I don't know if there's, if we want to keep digging into it, but like, would he be, would he still be, would Sam still be a hero in that circumstance? Would people like him if he's like, I'm going to stick with you to the very end, Frodo, no matter what? And he, you know, goes through all these adversities with him. And then at the end, he bashes his brains in and throws the ring in the fire because Frodo wouldn't do it. Like, yes, he's the utilitarian hero, but he's not the same kind of hero that he was right up until that point. Would people like him more if he followed around Dark Lord Frodo as he took over all of Middle Earth? Just crying the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Carrying his stuff. (laughs) That's a good point. That would have have been an interesting ending. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, obviously there's there's times where promises have to be broken. I guess it's, it's interesting that Amaryllis does downgrade her view of him a bit i think promises are just a more serious thing for her than they are for him and it needs a lot more reason to break a promise something like the the one ring taking over all of middle earth rather than just you know i was feeling really bad about getting raped and i know that like i shouldn't have used the word just there but in comparison to middle earth being taken over it's not in the same ballpark i think she might have updated her priors on june's promises 
in two separate instances and I'll take them in reverse order. Cause the, all right. So uh, when they all had agreed, yep, we'll do things as a group. And then he runs upstairs to go save Val at speculation and scrutiny while they all go through the portal. Right. Oh yeah. Jesus. But yep. then way earlier. Yeah, sure. I'm I'll stay up and keep watch. <laughs> right. And then so yeah, right away, been- she's like, okay, yeah, I can't trust this guy. <laughs> been unreliable as fuck from the day the first night out he's getting better but i can see why <laughs> why she takes his promises with a grain of salt <laughs> yeah so um i think that he says you know thanks for talking about it or something and she says absolutely thank you for pressing me about solace and he says i just want you to be happy really there are 30 of you now so it's about 30 times more important <laughs> and yes exactly first tension breaking humor is perfect and second like she didn't want to talk about it. He pushes, but not like, you know, over much pushes. And she says, okay, I did appreciate talking about that. Thank you for pushing me. And he's like, yeah, I, I want you to be happy. That's why I push. Man, they're fucking the best communicators ever. Yeah. High five to them. And that's just going to be a running theme through. Like, I try, I'll try to only say that one or two more times, but mm-hmm. they are they are epic tier communicators. Yeah. They're doing fantastic here. But yeah, regarding those clones, like she says, first of all, she says, it's like living my life at a rate of 30 days per day, which, oh my God, I almost jizzed in my pants when she said that. That sounds like amazing awesomeness. Think, Up until, th- think of all the nothing I could do with all that time. <laughs> right? I might actually learn guitar at some point. Or, or, or nothing, yes. I could actually watch things. Well, I'm, talk, yeah, I'm talking about me. So I, you, you probably get shit done. You get shit done, shit done with just one one of you, so far as we know. Oh, man. You would get shit done, too, though. Or or you could just, like, finally read and watch all the things, which is also something, you know? That's not nothing. Exactly. Um, but then, almost immediately, she goes on to say, uh, I miss you because I see so little of you. She only sees him for one day out of every 30. And that to me seems completely untenable. Like, can you imagine only seeing your wife one day out of every 30 days? Like, I, I don't, I don't know if I could do it. I I think like they're going to need to become Polly or something because that's just not enough. Um, loving being together time. Do you think that her, um, like primary issue there is going to be like the amount of like just partner contact she has. I think it's specifically June. I mean, obviously, it's specifically June, but I think that's because June's her partner. If she could have an emotional bond with more people, then she could have that met, need met by other humans. I mean, the, the, ideally, it would be June and there would be 30 of him too, or at least like 15. You know, you can see your partner every other day or even just a couple of days a week, but only once a month is, it's awful. Yeah, that, that would be a lot. And if it sounds like there's a running vacuum, that's because there's like 40 mile an hour winds outside. Um, yeah, I uh, I don't know how I'd cope with that. Like, because you don't really get to take turns on which one gets to hang out with June, right? Yeah, it, it doesn't matter because they all have their memories updated. Right. And yeah, there's there's not going to be like a neat way to sync that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, I mean, I do know and it just sounds like a drag. So yeah, that's, that's my, I guess this... You know, this cloning thing is a double-edged sword. Um, yeah. And did we figure out... Oh, right. They have souls to some degree, uh, but not to the extent where they can be soul-modified. So, like, they can't turn down how much they want to see June without uh, just Emeralist Prime doing it. Yes. But also, like, it wouldn't matter because she has memories of 
29 days spent without June and one day spent with June, regardless of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of how the values get changed. Man, that's weird. I mean, I guess she could just turn down her desire to be with June to be low enough that once every 30 days is enough. Hey, you know, it sounds like she's solving a problem. You know, who are we to tell her that that's a bad solution? Would it would it ruin her relationship? You know, maybe. Mm, yeah, but, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm, might- I'm actually realizing that as I'm trying to be tongue in cheek about it, like this, this is just a fact of how her weird life is. Right. And if, yeah, if like, yeah, it turns out it is impossible for me to, uh, just cope with my circumstance, then yeah, I'm going to do something different. That sounds, sounds legit. <laughs> um, you had said that uh, they need, you know, they need to become poly or something. And I said, mm-hmm. I feel like quote, become poly slash bang more people is a solution high on your search list for like most problems. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first of all, not wrong, but second, I think this one in this case actually might be one of the few viable options to solve this particular problem. Well, and third, you know, not bad advice. You know, if that was the top five and like basically every problem, I can see a lot of problems being solved that way. So as, as I as I attempted to make a good natured jab at you about it, I, I realized that like, no, actually, that's <laughs> that's really solid advice that like relax and bang more people is like great advice. If uh, you're you have a hankering to invade your neighboring country or if you're, um, oh, yeah. you know, so I, I think there's all kinds of of uh, of good problems that can be solved that way. So. I think I mean, you, you I, hit a recipe of, of successful wisdom right there, man. <laughs> I, I think it could certainly modify your desire to invade a neighboring country, but it probably wouldn't change whatever underlying issues make it seem like a really good idea to invade a neighboring country. No, but if you're too busy having sex, you know. Well, yeah, but then there's still the rest of your country and they're all going to be like, hey, we really need to invade these people. Unless they're all busy having sex. I guess exactly. everybody should just be banging all the time. Did, yeah. did you see that episode of South Park with uh, where Stan's dad like it's uh, what cream friche. Yes, yes. Yeah. First off, Stan's dad is amazing. He just always turns everything up to eleven, and mm-hmm. he wants to cook. He and that's his favorite ingredient. He's like masturbating to cooking shows and stuff. <laughs> and at the end, like his wife gives him a hand job, and then she's like, "Didn't you have that cooking competition? What? Oh no, fuck that! I'm gonna rest." Like <laughs> that, that was that was actually what he says. Like this was like his whole life. And didn't you have that thing? What? No, fuck that. I'm I'm tired. <laughs> like <laughs> all it took, you know, is just some some sexual release. Hmm. Um anyway, I don't know how relevant that actually is. Yeah, it was fun. All right, pushing through. So they talk about Fen and how it feels like she not it feels like how they are literally going to be writing her relationship with june out of any narratives that they give anybody outside the council of arches uh because it would really complicate their whole oh yeah no this is totally a legit wedding uh thing that they did um and june says you know she if she ever comes back to life she's going to be extremely pissed off and i think he was saying it as a joke but like also yeah she probably would and i'm not sure how i should feel about that like whether it's reasonable because I think I would be really hurt if someone that I thought had loved me just denied there was ever a relationship we were in at all. But, you know, I'm still alive. So that's that's probably a lot different than after I was dead. Obviously, I wouldn't care then. But yeah, do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Does this make any sense? Yeah, 100%. And I, okay. I mean, yes, you're not there to care. But like, you know, I think Aristotle toyed with the idea of like a good life being able to be posthumously diminished um you know like so 
you know, you're, you're a virtuous person, you did the right stuff, and then you die, and then someone puts a bunch of child pornography on your computer and a bunch of human body parts in your fridge, right? Mm, like, yeah. you don't know that. When you died, you were a saint, but forever you'll be that, you know, horrible cannibal. Um, yeah. Like, you're, it's not you in particular, like, well, not you directly that is is hurt by it, but your entire legacy for the rest of time, right? Um, so that said, I do think that um, Fen would understand. Like, the, you know, they explain the politi- political situation and stuff. Um, and she's like, okay, yeah, I get it. But like, you know, obviously we're, we're still together, right? And, or, you know, then again, they were, they were broken up, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. They were on a, that, yeah. that could be the comeback. I, I, so she's brought back to life. And what do you mean you guys are married? And he's like, we were on a break. you know i guess i could be both hurt and understand how it was a good idea and you know it was reasonable to do even if my feelings are kind of hurting and i just gotta wait give some time for my feelings to catch up with reality or whatever or just fix them immediately with soul magic but or that yeah um, yeah it's like uh hermione has stuff to say about that when she's like you know actually dying or being killed by the troll gave me some perspective um Mm -hmm. And I can't remember what specifically she was talking about. Maybe it was like people messing with her life or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's. Uh, um, Dying will give you a lot of perspective real fast. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's see. How do they get on the subject of pornography? Uh, I, I think they start talking about June Schlong. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Somehow June Schlong comes up and while they're <laughs> talking, <laughs> while they're talking about it, uh, they mention um porn and the reason that she would have been looking at porn because she was preparing for a marriage with larkspur and june says like jesus christ you would have been 12 blah and amaryllis is like yeah how old were you when you first saw porn and june says that's completely different and you know it and i guess i'm trying to figure out if it is completely different because it is and i'm gonna i'm I'm prepared to just knock this down but i was hoping that you would uh take the other side first so i could feel superior but there's, okay. there's there's no point in uh you know relishing in that if you're already second guessing stuff so um, yeah I, I mean i'm trying to figure out like they're both 12 years old they both sought out porn and watched it why why is it like so completely different for him as for rather than her i think succinctly it's because uh like june wasn't watching it so he could prepare to fake enjoy questionably consensual sex on his wedding night right Mm-hmm. He was doing it because he had a boner and he didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And she was watching it so that, that she would learn how not to cry while she's being fucked by some guy, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's the thing that made it like weird and gross for him and super understandably. Um, yeah. Also, I, I don't... The, 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 oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, well, yeah, no. Well, I, I guess the weird, the weird grossness comes from the fact that she was possibly going to get fucked when she was 12 and and that's the horrible part and and the the like the point thing is unrelated, but it just kind of feels like it is related because it's that's why she was looking at it. Right. Yeah. She she was looking at it for like what can I expect? Um and which, which is really unfortunate because porn is not at all a thing that tells you what you can expect. That's what I was thinking too. And <laughs> I also don't know I mean, I guess does Arab have pornography? The question answers itself because they can talk. Of course, they have pornography. Um, <laughs> but uh, I assumed that she she had partaken in this scientific research while in the time chamber watching VHS tapes of 70s porn or something, right? 
Uh, yeah, she she says she saw it really at twelve years old, so it must have been like what still images. Yeah, June June says he assumes that it was twelve, but she doesn't correct him. So yeah, it must have been yeah magazines or whatever, right? Yeah. Oh, there's definitely end ads for this, right? Oh, there be probably has to be yes. It's got to be like rule thirty five. If if you yeah. think of it, there's an end ad for it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I I think that's the thing. I liked her analogy of like who's more ill served watching uh too fast too furious for driving lessons right Um, is it the person who desperately wants to drive or the person who knows it'll be their job uh i think that the the reason i liked it a because it was funny and like i think Mm -hmm. it it drove home where the disconnect was um but the my thought on that was that june watched too fast too furious because it was fun in this analogy and emerilis watched it to learn how to drive yeah right but but I, i do like the uh um it was a, it was a fun take on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh, this was great. Um, so they're like going over their first date or whatever, and or their first kiss or something. And he was like, "Well, it was the unicorn thing." And then, um, well, yeah, but then no, we had like a real one after that. Let's say, yeah, we'll just say afterwards we talked about it or something like that. And she says, "Well, hmm. it can't just be something like that. It needs to be like, if not an exact script, then a, an agreed upon narrative that can survive scrutiny." And I just imagine yeah. her thoughtfully tapping her chin. Would you mind acting it out? And, <laughs> nice. And it's like, unless I'm really bad at picking up social cues, she's super into it or super into him, right? It certainly seems that way. Acting it Although, out is not yeah. uh, necessary for this story to stick. R- right. But it would it would probably help. And like just saying, you know, yeah, something like that is begging to get caught. Like if you're, this is some of the, one of a thing that you really need to, to have some, more foundation on it. And it feels like June just completely abandoned all his men skills for a moment <laughs> when he said something like that, because that's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I, I assumed he was kind of just passing her the pen back to say, all right, you tell me what the script says, but, um, mm. but you're right. Like it can't be that vague. Cause what do you mean? You don't remember your first kiss with your spouse. Um, yeah. So look, after we murder the president <laughs> and we run away, if they apprehend us in the uh, in the, down in Mexico, we're going to say, "Oh yeah, no, that that wasn't us," or something like that. Yeah. Like, no, you need you need a much better story. Yeah, you need more. Um, but you know, do you need to act out? You know, they could have like mimed it, right? But no, that mm-hmm. that wouldn't that wouldn't have the same sticking power to be really convincing. So we should really we should really do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And they do. Uh, yes. It was, you know, it was actually kind of sweet. Um, she, she did a pretty good job of uh, of seducing him. I thought. Yeah, I, I think that uh, she. I hope I pulled this out later because she uh, she nails the like the funniness of it. Maybe I didn't pull out the quote. Um, she's like, "Oh yeah, you know, convincing you to get a blowjob that was like like my hardest sell ever. Definitely a feather in my <laughs> cap." Um, yeah. I don't know how how hard she had to try to seduce him. She just had to try. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, what I liked is that, um, you know, there's like, uh, this kind of like, so, so they kiss, they, it's a, it's a real thing. And then at the end of it, um, I can't tell if she's like still in character. She kind of is. Uh, she says, well, I was going to say that there are lots of reasons that we shouldn't be kissing each other. And he says, whatever they are, we can deal with them together. And then mm-hmm. she goes back and picks up her notes. And then she's like, that was surprisingly smooth. Um, <laughs> it's like, and scene. All right, no need for another take. You guys nailed it. Um, it was really good. If that if that's the story they sell, like you know, it's it seems very convincing. Yes, uh, but they they really need to keep investigating this particular thing. 
Yeah. Because who knows how deep the inspector is going to go. I mean, it depends on how big June's dick is. That's how deep they're going to look, right? <laughs> uh, yes. That, the, the, the whole thing is it like adorably under this pretense that like, well, the marriage inspectors are very thorough. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, when would we have had sex? And June says, well, after we're married, you're a good Christian woman, aren't you? Uh, mm-hmm. Which is funny because he's mocking her new religion. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the main thing with it is that like, it's, it's just a cute answer. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, um, I can't, oh, she's, she's saying that like, that's, oh, she corrects him on the religion thing. I'm trying to remember how it transitions to him removing her bra. Uh, they're, they're going to go for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. The cool thing about superhero sex is that they can like really go at it. I can't remember if it was in Jessica Jones or Nick Cage, but they like ruin an apartment. I remember that. So it must've been Jessica Jones. Oh, you didn't see Nick Cage. Yeah. The second half of that season, I didn't see any subsequent seasons, but the first season was good for the first half. It was really good for the first half. Yeah. Then they went to just like, you know, seriously, like, you know, metal helmet, um, super villain guy. And it's like, this is not that, this was not that kind of show. <laughs> this this yeah. transition feels janky as shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's racist, Steven. It's something, I guess. Yeah. Um, all right. So then unfortunately, you know, things are, things are heating up and well, not unfortunately, you know, I, I get where he's coming from. I'm curious where your thoughts are on this. Cause you know, he, he says, you said you wouldn't stop me. And she says, I won't. And she's like trying to take his pants off. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, we can already see where this is going. It's like, you, you got to, actually want it that's what he wants right not just not Mm -hmm. not want it Mm -hmm. so i was actually reading this as her like doing a good job of seducing him in part because he seemed to be really into it and i don't think he would have been if she wasn't at least pretending to be and like when she said this when he said you said that you wouldn't stop me like i read it as her being all sultry and being like i won't and she comes over and starts tugging his pants off right yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think she said that with a business face. But yeah, yeah, you know, not stop me versus like I'm super into this. He's seeing a big divide there. Then again, you know, she is super into this by taking action. She's taking his pants off. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, she's she's going for the dick, man. Yeah, I think I think he's just spooked, and I I, I get where he's coming from. Um, even like I, I'm not saying I I think he's like in the like morally right position we should all aim for, but I mm-hmm. I think I understand his hangups. So it's just kind of a bummer. Yeah, they're getting it on. She's doing a decent job seducing him. He's doing his part, sort of. I, I think she's definitely pulling the more than her weight here. Uh, but I guess she has to because it's June. Anyways, he, he stops himself. He says, I didn't want to say Maddie's name um, when they were both nearly naked as the reason for why he's stopping. Uh, but that's probably why he was wanting to stop. Because after he'd had sex with Maddie, then he'd felt gross after. Like, he'd used her... And I mean, obviously that came from a lot of stuff that he'd learned before, but I, I think if he ends up having penis and vagina sex with Amaryllis, then it's just going to be bad no matter what, because cause he's got all these hangups and then he's going to hate himself even more afterwards. And it's like, I feel bad for him. It's like, you know how the DM created the Hellions to just be miserable all the time unless they're torturing humans? It's like he created June to be absolutely miserable about anything to deal with sex. And that's just the way it's going to be for June. And that sucks. Man, that does suck. I mean, he had fun with Fen. Um, I think what he was worried about was like, he had already experienced having sex with somebody who didn't really want to have sex with him, but like was going to do it because he wanted to. Yeah. It wasn't, um, it was consensual in the same way of like, you know, me helping a friend move. Right. Yeah. It's not like how I'd like to spend my day, but I'm happy to, you know? 
but he describes it with 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 Maddie that she just she didn't say anything, she wasn't doing anything, she was just waiting for it to end the whole time. Yeah. And it could just be that she's terrible in bed, but it could be that his read on it was right, that you know, she just was like, Well, it would be impolite to tell him to stop now. I guess I'll just wait it out. Um and I can totally see how that would kind of like make sex annoying. Um June's June's got a lot of self hate issues. And I mean I guess that makes sense for someone who tried to commit suicide, but man the Fen relationship, it worked so well. And I think one of the reasons it worked so well was because she, like, she made him forget the self-hate thing. He felt like she liked him. And he doesn't seem to get that as much with Amaryllis. Like, he's having to really work through it and process that she doesn't hate him. And I guess that's good for him in the Arab as therapy sense. But I think this is one of the reasons I liked the relationship with Fen better. Because she just honestly liked him for who he was the whole time. And... He didn't have to work through all this stuff to convince himself that someone would want to sleep with him for who he is. I think the the difference with like specifically the sexual component is that like Fen was physically attracted to him, right? Mm-hmm. Amaryllis, the way she put it, it, you know, it's like licking someone's elbow for a bit, then having them sneeze in your mouth. Yeah, like that. That's not exactly. Um, first of all, that's going to stick with me forever. So that's hilarious. And <laughs> yeah. second of all, um, it's. Uh, it's that's not what you want, you know, uh, a sexual encounter to be like with a partner, right? Yeah. Like, granted, that is kind of what it's like if you're just kind of like focusing on the menial labor part of it. Mm-hmm. If you're not into the sex part, right? Yeah. And so, since Ben was, he didn't have to like he wasn't aware of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you you what's the drag here is that like you know I think Amaryllis liked doing it because she likes helping her friend to be happy, you know, not just a friend. She loves him. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she wants him to be happy. She wants to do stuff for him, you know, like take out the sex stuff. And this is the, the same way. I think partners do this all the time. Like I watch BTS music videos and my wife, watch, you know, Avengers movies with me. <laughs> right. Like it's, yeah. it's this, this is, uh, and the thing is, it's not like I just put up with it. I, I enjoy it, uh, largely, um, sympathetically yeah 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 like some, i i i am enjoying her joy of it right mm-hmm. yeah and it lets me like i'm like okay if she likes it this much there must be something in here to appreciate and there is they're actually remarkably talented um choreographers and stuff right mm-hmm. um so it's i don't know i he but i think he's he's got his hang-ups about specifically this department of stuff right if Amarillo yeah. said, let me help you uh, with your chores, he'd be like, okay, sure. I believe that you want to help me because you're nice. Uh, yeah. But this, this, you know, he, he's his modest Midwestern upbringing put sex on a pedestal for him. And I yeah. understand that the pedestal exists. And I think that one of the funny devices between us is that you, you think that, or let me know if I'm putting words in your mouth, but I think that uh-huh. I understand why the pet, I understand why he thinks the pedestal exists. And I understand that it actually does. I think that sometimes you pretend like you can't imagine that there's even a pedestal there, right? I think the pedestal. I mean, I, sorry, I kind I, I kind of understand the pedestal being there, but I think it's stupid that it's there. It is. I think. Yeah. It's the thing okay. is though. It's like for as long as people think it's important, it actually is, and that, that's the pedestal of like this this thing, right? Like you know, se- sex is magic that's... is important for as long as people think it is, and because I, I... because they do, it actually is, right? I I guess. It's, I mean, it's a weird hang. So, it's, a, it's a weird cycle that can only be broken by brave people such as yourself breaking the trend. <laughs> um, 
but I, I, I don't think I'm really all that brave. I think there's just a lot of insane people that need to stop being insane. Like people used to have the same hang up about women showing their ankles, you know, it, it's just dumb. And I don't know, like, obviously the sex with Amaryllis is always going to be bad because she's not into it. And like, you just trying to have sex with someone who's not into it is, is going to be bad sex. I don't think June should have sex with her, to be honest, but, but because it's going to be bad and not because like the, it's, it's this pedestal thing. Like you were saying, Yeah. the fact that he feels so much guilt and keeps beating himself up over it and thinks that he's this dirty, awful person. That's, that's the dumb part, in my opinion. Yeah, he shouldn't feel any self-loathing about any of this stuff. You know, it would be like, this actually seems perfectly in character for Amaryllis. Like, she's like, all right, I'm going to get on there and I'm going to give him the best sex he's ever had. That will be a personal triumph of mine, right? Yeah, totally. Like, that, that's so her style. She's like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. just do it. I'm going to fucking crush it. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right. I don't think June could get out of his head that she's just acting because she would be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, friends do. You know, so here's the thing. And, you know, this is graphic, but this is a pretty graphic chapter. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she she talks about uh, her, what it was like um, giving him a blowjob, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I kind of forgot the lead in to all that. Like, you know, she, she's like, oh, I should take a look at it, you know, in case the inspectors, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. And then, you know, before. I'd like to see your penis. Right. True love. It's true love. And yeah. before, you know, she gives june enough time to process that princess goes in for the beager and he's just you know along for the ride um she gives that example about the elbow and sneezing stuff right Mm -hmm. the thing is i don't i suspect the the number of people out there who like genuinely enjoy the sensations you know the taste and feel of performing that I, i imagine those people are a very small percentage of people people like it because they like getting their partners off they actually really do like it sexually. Right. But they, like they, I, they don't like the, I don't think that they like the, um, they might. No. They, they no, don't no, like no, the no. taste and feel of it. They, they right, like, yeah. they like the aspect of like, I'm getting this person off and I love that. Right. Yes. Like if I was going down on someone and she was like, yawn, boring, the enjoyment isn't in the physical process right. of it. You're like, it's in, I'm not down here. I'm not down here because I love this. I, I, I'm only, yeah. I, I love it only in as much as you love it. Right. Um, but if you do love it, holy shit, am I into it? You know? Absolutely. But so yeah. that, I think that's where June's getting tripped up is because he knows that she doesn't like it. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, she doesn't, she doesn't get that sort of, well, the thing is she kind of does. It's not a sexual thing for her, but she's like, you know, Hey, he's really, in, he's really enjoying this. It only takes mm-hmm. three minutes um, or, you know, 30 <laughs> seconds. Damn. Um, a whole three minutes. I, I depends on, you know, this is her first time. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of what the funniest number is. It's either really short or really long. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. I guess if you're doing it, I, I don't know a point I'm trying to make here. That's taking me five minutes to get around to. This is me meandering. The point is, is like, I don't know if you need the sexual reciprocity feeling of it to, to be like for, for it to be a cool thing that, you know, a friend can do for somebody. Like I, I'm bringing all this up because there's probably an amicable way that June can like lean back and enjoy these without without racking himself with guilt if he's like you know she doesn't actually mind because she likes making me feel nice right yeah and and did i really need to make five spend five minutes making that point did i say anything actually maybe i just chased my tail the whole time i don't know what i was trying to say i I, no. i mean i think it's it's somewhat of a confusing subject because of her non-sexual reactions to stuff but i i agree with you it basically in everything you said that it does make it 
less enjoyable and probably not something that they would do very often, but that maybe you could every now and then just like, you know, rest kind of like you would if someone were to give you a massage for 20 minutes and be like, okay, I know this is hard work for you and you're not getting much out of it, but I, I can, I can accept this for now because we do this for each other sometimes. Yeah. He talked about bro jobs with crack. I think we, yeah. we called it that, but like, this is kind of Amaryllis <laughs> doing that, right? Yeah, totally. And if he was willing to do it for crack and Amaryllis wants to do it for him, it's like, you know, let people do what they want. Yeah. You know, if she's, if she's fine with it, then it seems like it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. But he wants it to be a he wants it to be a real win win where she actually gets something out of it. That that would be ideal, yeah. Well, so so he offers her, right? Oh, he does. Yes. Um, real quick before we jump to that, I, I like to want to pull out two things. Uh, he says that his penis is very average, which I absolutely doubt after how many points he's put into physical. <laughs> I wonder. Let me see his uh his character sheet was on the notes too chapter. Um, I mean he's. He is so large now that people comment about how large he is for a human. Yeah, he's got a physical of eight. I, I assume that translates directly to inches, right? <laughs> yes. Although he started the physical of one when he got here, didn't he? Man, that's rough. I, I think he started with a two. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. May, maybe his... Uh, you know, we talked about how porn isn't very informative. Um, maybe that's where he's getting his his baseline from. Ah, uh, that could be. be like, yeah, it's, it's average based on all the dicks that I've seen. <laughs> right. Actually, Amaryllis might be like, yeah, it looks like an average dick to me too. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, poor both of them. Uh, but yeah, then at the just before it fades to black, when she's going down on him, she looks up at him and says, "It's not like I like you or anything." And I busted out laughing. I thought that was perfect. Is it just me or is she like 100% channeling Fen this whole chapter? Oh, maybe that's how she learned the the arts of seduction by seeing what Fen does. Oh, I like that interpretation a lot more than I like my guess, which is that the person oh, who, you know, played Fen and played Palada at the DAD table, uh, the person who played Amaryllis was out sick this week, so they played Amaryllis. Uh, oh, Jesus, dude. You can't, that, that would be super lame. I know, but that, that's that's, you know... It's just like she felt so much like Fen. I'm like, it, is it because she actually is? Um, <laughs> but no. yeah, what it is is that she's she's modeling Fen in her mind as a, as an actual sapient person, not just a NPC. Yeah. And uh, you know, she she's not I've, she's not a philosophical zombie. She's actually having thoughts. Okay, yeah, I, I like your take on it. If there's actual like players behind the scenes, I'm, I I think that's fine. But like, if they start swapping around the characters that they're playing, like that's that's a level of destroying the integrity where I think June would just start being, I would sympathize with Uther going nuts and saying just like the whole world is all NPCs and nobody matters. If that was the case, because then that's basically what they're doing to June. If they're just like swapping around who's who, because they want to play a different character for one session. Like what if, that's fucked up, man. What if the kid sister was, was there for this one? Didn't want to make a new character because they keep dying, but just like kept nudging the, p- the person playing Amaryllis into what, you know, decisions to do. And that, that gets, that gets fuzzier, but you know, it actually just completely, you know, lets us dodge the whole thing. It's just like Amaryllis was, you know, being her usual thinking and contem- contemplative self. And she says, you know, uh, he is really into that Fen person, you know, and yeah. she specifically these behaviors seem like things I could do. And um, that, that, I think that makes much more sense. I mean, it might be that Fen has been the only example she's seen for, seduction although that's not true i'm sure she must have seen it happening in the court 
maybe it's just you know she saw that it worked on june anyway yeah that'd be the one time she saw it work on june but also like you know can she trust anything that she saw in the court as like you know not people just being slithering at each other right right yeah Yeah. she certainly never saw it with her parents because she said they didn't really like each other that much right well and like you know her dad was like super old and died when she was really young so Mm -hmm. um all right. But anyway, June sneezes in her mouth, and uh, afterwards, <laughs> he, he says he was turning the idea about what happened over in his head, trying to see if there was some scene that he would eventually dig into, some way that my brain would decide this was a bad thing. And that kind of sucks, man. Even after he, he they're laying together in the rosy glow, and still he's like, oh, shit. My brain's going to somehow make me feel guilty about this at some point, isn't it? And I'm like, that 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 sucks. It, it really feels like he was raised in a Puritan cult of some kind. And it's it's weird that he wasn't. Because maybe just like all of middle, all of Bumblefuck where he came from just has this Puritan cult vibe to it, whether you're in a religion or not. Well, I think he's also maybe mixing in the ingredient of like his recent, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say victim, victimhood surviving his his, his recent oh, sexual oh. assault right um, yeah so maybe maybe it's partly that but um mm-hmm. yeah on the plus side though doesn't he think about like is there any way that my mind will be able to fuck this you know over with me and then he's like no actually probably not so d- doesn't he say something like that i don't remember that specifically but i can't remember either let's pretend like that happened so we can be happy about him yay good job june yay i'm sure glad he doesn't have any hang-ups about stuff and he can just relax <laughs> yes he's perfectly mentally healthy that's right he is a very stable genius. Very stable genius. <laughs> trying to think of what you what you said there reminded me of, and that was it. Uh, anyways, oh, this is a very stable genius thing to do. Conditional blowjobs, right? He says that my accepting blowjobs condition is, if not some quid pro quo, because I wouldn't want it to be transactional, then I'd like to do something for you. And I thought that was really, really super sweet. That like, yeah, I, I realize you're doing something for me. Maybe I can do something for you. Like a massage or something, you know, like we do stuff for each other because we love each other and we help each other out. And, you know, I bet he was thinking like, oh, she's going to ask me to like learn some air history or read some, you know, uh, books on public decorum because I'm now a prince. But no, she wants him to read the Bible. The Bible. I mean, you got to ask yourself, is it even worth it after that? The answer's been a really good blowjob. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's interesting. I like that. Uh, So we finally get a little bit of insight into her head about this. Mm. Um, He says, you know, I am a little weirded out by you being a Christian. And she's like, oh, I'm not. My God isn't the Christian one, but the Bible has helped me to understand monotheism. And I go back to it from time to time. Um, So she says she has a God and that this is just a a good mm, way for her to help understand monotheisms, which. Honestly, if, you know, I, I did the thing that June did, which I didn't read the whole thing cover to cover. I read enough to argue with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so from the chunks I read, it seems like a great way to be like, okay, this is distilling into me the lesson that God is capricious and jealous and angry, right? <laughs> yes. And so, you know, if that's if that's what she got out of it, like kind of like uh, safety lessons for herself, um, maybe that's it. But she seems to take real comfort in it, right? Maybe it's comforting to know that God is capricious and random and vengeful, just like the real world. It makes him somewhat more scrutable, you know? And it's yeah. like, at least it's not a complete mystery. Like She didn't say that she takes solace in any of this, right? Just that it helps her to understand things a little better? No, but we've seen her quote the Bible in times of stress. That's true. Yeah. Hmm. 
man, it feels like the windows are trying to come in from the wind. Um, oh, really? It's not as bad where I am. It's, I mean, they're solid. It's just funny. Um, all right. Well, the marriage inspectors show up. We don't get any details about how they uh, actually, you know, how detailed they were. Um, yeah, we get some details. There was like two, three paragraphs down there. Oh, I know. Although I guess you're right. We don't get a lot into the details. They, they, as far as I can tell, they don't ask him to take his pants off. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think we talked a bit about already about Amaryllis and June um, as a couple versus June and Fen. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I guess my my one sentence thought on it is that like their communication is just epic. And it's, it's the exact opposite of where that was the main failure mode of Fen and June's, right? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's weird that I'm like going to weigh who's a better couple because that's not the kind of person I ever thought I'd be. But, you know, I, I feel like they're a better couple than, uh, than Fen and June were. Mm, like just, just on I paper, they're both actually happier, I think. Mm, I don't know. I, I, I think we can, I think it's, it's consistent. It's possible to like Fen more and still think that, June is a better partner for or Emerald is a better partner for June. I think the better couple is the one that has Fen as half of it. So <laughs> can't argue with that. <laughs> I, I mean, they, it sounds like Amaryllis is a better match for June. Yes. Um, but she's not Fen. Maybe, but you know, that's exactly what Amaryllis would want us to think. Or, or maybe that's what future June who's married to Amaryllis and she's looking over his shoulder <laughs> as he's writing this would want us to think. You better tell people in your autobiography that you liked me. Um, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. let's see. Segway 199, nearest and dearest. Cool. Which I'm assuming dearest uh, is supposed to be spelled with two E's because it's the deer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yes. Uh, I think that's the joke. For the most part, I haven't been thinking of like puns and stuff or the episode title or the chapter titles because I keep forgetting, but that was a good one. Yeah. And they, I mean, a lot of them don't really have puns. They're just titles, but some of them do probably like, I don't know, half of them maybe. Yeah. Like notes two is just notes, you know, purient interest is, and it's right there on the tin. Yeah. No, yeah. It's it. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, they are trying to break the locust out of its bottle and, uh, get it set up in the real world again. And the June mentions that, uh, the druid divining spell technically didn't find June. It found it directed solace to all four of them. Um, so in theory, it could be that the druid divining spell was directing her to Grack and that he was the one that was going to free the locust. Since that's what is happening here. Grack is going to be doing almost all the work on this thing. Uh, solace liked the plan, he says, but June is skeptical. And I understand his skepticism because he thinks it doesn't make narrative sense for someone that's not him to free the locust since this is his story he's the protagonist like all of it is about him he's the one that has the quest etc but on the other hand like grack and solace have a relationship now and it, it's it seems to be a good working relationship if the spell led her to grack who is both like her true love it turns out and also turns out to be the folk locust freer, then it's just, it's kind of perfect that the spell led her to him and it all dovetails nicely. And I, I would like that very much. Also, we know that companions can have side quests that they're the stars of. We know, unlike June, that sometimes the narrative does focus on Amaryllis or Valencia and we see things through their point of view. So it's totally, I think, legit that the spell could have led her to Grack and Grack is the one that is, uh, you know, going to be the folk locust rescuer eventually, even if they didn't fully rescue it in this chapter. I mean, they got out of the jar. Like, so they, they got some, they got one hurdle of the job done. You know, yeah. if, if they need some impossible shit done, that's probably going to be June. 
Um, you know, just cause that's sort of his, his thing. But, um, mm-hmm. I think June was skeptical. I, when I, when I read that, I was wondering if he was skeptical because like, like you said, narrative stuff, or is he just like, how is it not me? Uh, you know, is I he mean, just, is he getting a question, little right? too big for his britches? Uh, <laughs> yes. They're, they're, they're similar questions and like they're tied together because, you know, his life is a story, but I wonder if he's just like, what do you mean? I'm not going to be the one to do it. Um, yeah. Not, not just because he's caught up in the narrative stuff, but also it's like, I'm the, I'm the really cool one. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it, I think, I think he's going to realize that, uh, you know, friendship is magic and that when they work together, that's when they can get really good shit done. So, yeah. Um, uh, okay. crack is like walking around making like a three mile radius, ward for like all this stuff to fall out into right mm-hmm. and they're chatting as he's doing that and grack brings up that uh it, the wolves decided long ago when they first met mankind that it was better to be seen by humans as a society of men because they would you know the dwarf holes would seem like kingdoms full of soldiers with no spare mouths that they have to feed uh and also that by and large it was easier to be respected as a man rather than and easier to integrate into male traditions when you're seen as a man and i i mean i think Grack makes some really damn good points that yeah if you're trying to keep outsiders away uh, aside from maybe some formal interactions that male is the best call and this is a thing that i wouldn't have thought in the early 2000s uh maybe even as late as like 2012 uh, that I had truly internalized the, you know, no, fuck you, man. The, the sexes are basically the same. Like, and, and like, I would have, maybe I would have accepted that, uh, some racist assholes from the past would think that way. And it's just, it's weird that now I can read this and be like, oh yeah, you know, grax has got a point that this is going to be easier for them if that's their objectives. And it took the trans movement of all things to like, make sex differences be acknowledged among at least among educated left people anyway. So that, that was weird. I didn't think that's the way things would shake out. If I understand what you're saying, it's like, you know, you're raised on the, what I hope we eventually land on, but like the, the nominal idea that everybody's equal, you know, tall or short, you know, uh, small or large, you know, skin color, gender aside, we're all the yeah. same. Like, mm-hmm. I think that as far as moral worth, that's all true. But yeah. as far as um, society's view of you, like, uh, it, I don't know if I ever thought that that was the case, uh, like, in reality. I thought that was always the goal. And that's how we should all view each other. But, like, that's not how things were. At least where I had been raised. And I don't know if maybe I have this thing where I believe what people tell me. and even more so when I was young. So like when I was told the sexes are basically indistinguishable, I really, really believed it. And uh, I kept believing it for long into my adulthood. And it wasn't until my, my trans friends basically were like, no man, there's big differences between the sexes. This is why I want to be the other sex. I was like, well, fuck, I guess there's like, when I found out, I think it was just like four years ago that men and women literally have different skin that like men's skin is thicker and denser. It fucking blew my mind. I was like skin, your skin of all things. And yeah, yeah. Even skin. I was like, just Jesus. That's crazy. 
I, I see what you mean. Yeah, it's, I think what, you know, maybe people when you're, you know, young and malleable brained, maybe they're equivocating on like, no, the sec- you know, everyone's the same. I think what they were saying is like, everyone matters the same because that's true. And that's, yeah. that said though, I mean, I, I have this, you know, you mentioned that you have this thing where you believe people, man, I am mm-hmm. embarrassingly gullible. Um, oh God. L- less, less than I used to be, I think. But um, mm-hmm. it's like, whatever I hear, I immediately believe is true until I like take a moment to think about it and then reject it, which I know is like a theory for how language comprehension works. But with me, I think that that lag time is actually noticeable. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it sucks, but it's like, yeah, you know, uh, picture like regardless of, regardless of what society thinks about anything, if you have an accurate view of biology, if you think that that mountain is full of men, as opposed to full of women, you're going to be think you're going to think that it's harder to conquer, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that's the society that they, that's the world they had, right? And I mean, also, isn't that literally true? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, magic aside, you know, dwarves. Right, magic yeah. aside. I mean, assuming it, you're living in a society with swords and bows and arrows it, and shit. It's an unfortunate fact of human of of human history on Earth that, like, on average, men are bigger than women. Yeah. It's it it is. I think, like I said, literally an, an unfortunate historical fact. Like, if if things had just been like you know more or less the same you know, with obvious, you know, standard deviations and stuff, I think mm-hmm. history could have played out differently. Um, Drastically. Could have, yeah, would have played out radically differently. Yeah. Yeah. But what can you do? Right. I guess, I guess what you can like- do is if, you, if you're picking uh, which way to present to the rest of the world, you and, you, you know, you want to pick the one that, uh, you know, people won't fuck with, um, you know, I guess go that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the other, and maybe they get to pick how they present or something, but Grack looks like Gimli. Yes. <laughs> and so <laughs> that was- it, it wasn't a hard sell to, to the human, to, to the other mortal races that like, Oh yeah, we're all dudes. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah. Cause you all look like dudes to but our that, understanding that, of dude. Right. It was hilarious when later on, or not hilarious. I don't know. Maybe, maybe hilarious. Maybe like face palmy later on where Grack says, I would have rather you viewed me as a female. Uh, and, or I'm not sure he said those exact words or if June said them or what, but, uh, but yeah, the fact that he has this big old burly beard really is not helping him. Like he, the least he could do if he wanted to be seen as female is shaved. Although maybe by the time he realized he was into June, it was kind of too late for that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, again, he, we're, 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 look we're, like Gimli. we're just entering the, the period in, in human history where, those labels are breaking down. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we have to make like cognitive updates. Um, but historically for most of everyone who's ever been alive life, you know, big burly beard meant, you know, big guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least guy, at least I've, guy. I've seen short dudes with big burly beards. That, before. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so, you know, language is, is just now evolving in such a way where that's not necessarily the case anymore. Um, but June comes from 2017 Kansas, which I think is like 2013 United States. Um, but <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, like th- this was a thing where like Grack had mentioned that, um, you know, that they should. Uh, oh, I guess he, he doesn't actually mention the idea of like trying to, he says flaunt our differences or whatever. 
uh, oh yeah, they should, we should t- we should take on new words, make it clear that you know something different is being described. And mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised June didn't mention that that was taking off on Earth, but I think it was only kind of getting really going in 2017. And again, if my theory is right that nowhere Kansas is five years behind the rest of the country, then <laughs> it, it really might not have made it to his high school. You know? Yeah. And maybe he, he probably would have seen it online or something, but maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I think I think it's entirely plausible that it would have not made it to Kansas yet, because it was it was just kind of kicking off around that time. Yeah. Um I'm trying to gosh, when was the first time I met a they? I'm we'd have to we maybe check Google Trends or something at some point. Yeah. It feels like it was somewhere around that time though. Yeah, same here. But like we're also like in, you know, progressive liberal circles. We're not in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. That's true. Yeah. And I'm not shooting on Kansas in particular. I'm, I'm, I'm talking just like small town, Smallville, right? Yes, yes. Or small We're not t- talking about the, the, the big city of Kansas. Yeah, what, small town, Nowheresville. Yeah. I guess Kansas City is partly in Kansas, probably a big city. Well, Kansas City, Kansas is in Kansas. Kansas City, Missouri is in Missouri, <laughs> which, what right. the hell, Missouri? <laughs> <laughs> Missouri was like, we're going to take this half. God, so confusing. No. June just June does say that if the situation was different, he can imagine that presenting as female would have his own benefits, but he couldn't come up with any. Which, okay, June, failure of imagination there. I, I'm sure he could have taken a few minutes to think of something if he wanted to. Yeah, um, I guess you picture like just kind of warring tribes, uh, and it's hard to picture what the benefit would have been. Like, I guess I don't know what the circumstances were when dwarves came out from underground and were like by the way there's a billion of us um mm-hmm. but you know if if it was i don't know whatever war of the war of the wait lord of the flies style whatever pre-uther just conquesting then yeah. you know being the tribe of barbarian of bearded barbarians would be more advantageous i think right oh yeah totally i, I was just laughing at his his idea that or, or his claim that he can't think of any possible advantages to being a woman if situations are different. Um, in this particular situation, it's hard to see. I, I think I see what you're saying, but... Yeah, because uh, he's saying if situations were different, there are situations where it would be an advantage. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's... And he's like, oh, but I, I can't think of any. I'm like, June, you aren't trying very hard. It's that middle of nowhere Kansas vibe. <laughs> but, oh yeah, you mentioned the same thing that I mentioned about how, you know, Grack has a beard, so like... June says, you'd rather that I viewed you as female so I could think of you as, as a potential mate. And Grack nods. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it. We ta- I think we talked about that a bit when, you know, Grack expressed how he has feeling about stuff. Yeah. And I mean, here we are still gendering Grack, but, I, you know, the the I mean, he's, groglier he's complete- terms that it gave us, I can't quite remember. So They nod, I think? Or- well, that's the thing is one, one was he and one was him. And yeah. one was two syllables and the other wasn't. Yeah. I mean, Grack's major problem is that he's very male-coded, and if he wanted to be seen as female, he didn't do anything at all to change that. You know, that reminds me about Daynod and Day or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like, on whatever, um, some social media bios, I see this, like, on LinkedIn, people will put, like, he, him, she, her, whatever, they, them. Mm-hmm. Why do they put both? both like, what? he, him, she, her. Because no one's ever put she, him, or, you know, him, them. Right? Uh, I have seen some him thems before. What the fuck does that mean? I, I thought I was just, you know, I, I, I was just getting it. I, I think it means you can call me anything as long as you don't call me a woman, goddamn you. Okay. So they put she slash her uh, because they're like, nope, feminine pronouns. 
But well, the problem is normally you would just say I use male pronouns, right? right? Or I use female pronouns or I use neutral pronouns, except you can't say that because then people would be like, what do you mean female pronouns? Females can have any pronouns. Oh, well, at least that explains why they use words there, but it still doesn't, you know, until I run into somebody. she, her instead of just she or just her? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's just convention. But That's ni- how it started. Yeah, I think that must be it. Yeah, but nice way to get right ahead of the... Of the Twitter mob. Yeah. What do you mean feminine pronouns? You're saying that feminines have to use feminine pronouns? <laughs> right. Oh, man. All right. Well, I had in, in my notes here a gif of Bill Hader, Bill Hader uh, enthusiastically eating popcorn in an SNL sketch. Yes. Because we we're oh. bordering on culture <laughs> war stuff. Definitely touching culture war stuff here. Did you do that as a reaction to what I put as the possible advantages of being female? Yep. <laughs> and I'm taking a note here so we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> yeah i mean should should i mention those at all or do we just want to skip past this i mean if you think it's worthwhile i don't want to ever say we shouldn't mention something because we're you know we're afraid of the reaction but if you feel like we already hit the things we want to hit we can um well i don't know if it's worthwhile i don't know i I think that if june had taken even 10 seconds to think about what the possible advantages of being a woman could be then he would have come up with this and the only reason he didn't is because it would have been i don't know uncomfortable or sexist or transphobic or something to admit that there could be some advantages like this but like obviously the advantages of being a woman in a very radically different situation or your species being seen as female would be like if the world wanted to give your species resources and protection like that would be a hell of a boon but also you would have to be in a world that is very rich that that is the traditional role if they're going in a traditional society where like men are the warriors and the the protectors and they will stop people from invading women are the gender that are protected and provided for by the men i mean yeah i think that given that we're all we're, you know we're looking at this through the historical barbarian context stuff um or at least through like the lens of the world isn't as we'd like it to be, but the world as it is, right? Mm. If the world is as we'd like it to be, everyone can just get the stick out of their ass and treat everyone like people and everybody wins. Once we yeah. get there, that's great. But up until that point, yeah, there's there's pros and cons. It's it's hard to imagine that if um, they met Grack at, um, what was that prison called? Doesn't matter. The one with Follader, mm-hmm. where he meets Val. Yeah. And it's this doe-eyed, not talking, you know, like she just she comes out of the glove like a deer in the headlights just standing there and he like moves a mountain to save her mm-hmm. um as ben put it she's she was june bait quote unquote right mm-hmm. i think that if she looked like Grack, he might have been he might have tried less hard to save him right? <laughs> yes if it was like a grumpy fat dude with a big ass beard yeah i think that there's that you know he might have been like well I, I something in my apish hindbrain says protect the little woman right Mm-hmm. Um, now that's not something he likes about himself. It's not, it's not something we should like about ourselves. Um, uh, we should, we should grow past that stuff, but I can see how that's, that's also part of his Midwestern, his modest mid Midwestern wiring. Right. Yeah. If it was, you know, more like comic book guy that popped out, June could have been like, Jesus Christ, dude, we told you to stay in the fucking glove. I'm out of here. You dumbass. And he only had like four in fizz at that point. I don't know if he could carry a comic book guy over that wall, but <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Anyway, um, I like that, that they had this conversation. I thought it was a lot of fun because, again, and this was actually fun in the moment, too. You know, as so June says the sentence, you'd rather that I viewed you as a female so that you that I would think of you as a potential mate. Grack nodded mm-hmm. once. He was blushing a little bit like 
as Grack is talking about like, man, I kind of wish I had gendered differently, you know, to you. June still is unconsciously, you know, gendering him the, the, the way that he has been and the way that he traditionally would if he was, uh, you know, based on his, his physical impression. Oh, of him, right? I see. He doesn't say that she was blushing slightly. Yeah. Or just that, you know, Grack was blushing. He could just keep using the name or something. Yeah. But yeah. He, he keeps saying, you know, he said this, he said that or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, he. He's known him as a he this whole time, and also he looks like a stocky bearded dude. I know, yeah. I, I didn't bring it up because I think June's saying something wrong. I bring it up because you know Greg didn't specifically yeah. say, "Could you can just you that make it was an update?" But yeah, it's just uh, it's it's so automatic, right? Like June isn't going to magically start viewing him as female just because he nods and says, "Yes, I would have preferred that." Like he still sees Greg in front of him, but he, he could work towards it, right? Um, and it would be work. But uh, I just liked that, you know, in, in the context I of the conversation, he's still automatically doing the assignment thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I think he could start using different pronouns for Grack if Grack wanted that. Could he actually think of him that way? I I don't know. I, I seriously doubt that as long as Grack is a stocky bearded dude that he would think of him as her, even if he does use the words she and her out loud. June can basically rewrite his own source code. <laughs> Well, yeah, okay, yes, <laughs> June could. Fair enough. All right, let's let's move past uh, um, on to the next thing because uh, June once again goes back to like, well, there's this harem thing. Yeah, he's which I I, th- I think you have a good point that th- there really is not a harem thing, and maybe for a few chapters it looked like there might be, but there never really was. But yes, he says there was a harem thing going on, but Grack. It felt like a cruel joke, or if not that, then commentary of some kind that I really wasn't understanding. And I was thinking, well, this looks like a clue for us to dig into, because June explicitly just said there's commentary of some kind here. So, if all his companions are aspects of himself, which is what I'm still going with, um, then maybe he's being taught that he has to learn to love himself, which is why, like, all these aspects of him are potentially lovable uh in the in the boning kind of way the biblical sense Uh, thank you (laughs) yeah uh june can like feel attraction to all these different parts of himself except for the part of himself that is suicidal and full of self-loathing which is grack he can still make peace with that aspect of himself but he can't ever really desire it in the same way he desires he could learn to desire the other aspects of himself I think we agree that he's making a mistake viewing everything like with these harem glasses on just because like it just straight up doesn't fit. But we can look at the rest of it. And you're right. His companions are reflections of himself. You know, Bethel's his uh, maybe bit of a sadistic part and his propensity towards um, reactive or sometimes preemptive violence. And Val, I'd have to think about. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, there's there's something there for everybody in him, right? What does it mean that Greg is explicitly like not his type? Um, yeah. Maybe I, just like it's about loving yourself for who you are and working on the parts that need work. But that part needs the most work then, doesn't it? Or does it? Like I thought maybe this was an intentional way for the DM to force some distance between June and his suicidal aspects for like his own safety. Because like suicidal June didn't have to be Greg. It could have been like a self-destructive punk rocker type or a hot goth chick or something. And then, you know, maybe he would have gotten into a relationship with her and could have spiraled into some bad places and it would totally fuck up the whole Airbus therapy thing. Um, although, you know, 
in that case, I think the DM probably made a mistake by not making Rage June also male, uh, because because then maybe June wouldn't have gotten raped. Maybe the deer is like super aggressive. Um, <laughs> but if you accept that this is part of who I once was, and the thing is, like you know, Grack was was suicidal when they met, and no longer is. Right. That's true. He yeah. he got to know him and made him know that he was loved and helped him move to a place where he didn't feel that way. Again, if, if June would just for a second admit that it's not all about sex, <laughs> it is because he's an 18 year old, but like um, mm-hmm. other than that, like, no, it's like th- this was, a, this is a reflection of you and you can see how like the power of true love and kindness actually, you know, got through. Right. And not yeah. just like, not just love and kindness, you know, he, he really understood him. That was the thing. Right. Yeah. Um, God, even just thinking about his conversation with crack and that, at uh daryl idrid or whatever mm-hmm. it m- makes me misty eyed it was just compassionate as fuck like yeah. um do you think it would have maybe it wouldn't have worked as well narratively if grack w- to have that conversation if grack was like a hot chick because then there would have been the implication of maybe an ulterior motive maybe it would have played less well if like they go there they have that whole exchange and then they go home and bone it out like I mean, they don't have to bone it out. Well, they don't have to ever bone. But like, you're right. They don't have to, right? But if if we're going with the whole harem thing, right? Yeah. And it's like, great. You know, we did it. Now let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Fuck. Like, it seems it shouldn't cheapen it, and it doesn't really. But it would give some credence to the concern, maybe for June himself, even that like, did I have ulterior motives? Like, was it part of my motivation for helping? You know, pretty girl rack. Uh, was that because I wanted to fuck her? Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was intentionally to remove any sort of other complications that could be in their relationship and just focus purely on the suicidal part because anything that has a a potential sex partner always has that bit of sub- subtext to it. It could well be. Man, it's funny. I, you know, whenever June starts thinking narrative stuff, I feel like he's kind of missing the mark. Again, here he's thinking like, what was the point of... of um, Gemma, you know, what, what's up with this harem business? Like, I feel like he's, he's never quite landing on it, like hitting the bullseye. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I spend too long in the stratosphere thinking of this, I get like a headache. I'm just like, I, I'm having difficulty <laughs> think like tracking the story and tracking the like meta narrative of it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like the air is getting thin. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, shall we? get back down on the ground then i think so but uh i i did i did really enjoy that um it's it's wild right um yeah something this is at some point i assume this is all going to come together and what's really cool is i think that you you know unless somehow it doesn't in which case you know you're still in the dark or whatever but i think that you know what's up and that just means that like you're i think i mentioned this last week for the first time in ages but you are nailing the like i don't know what's happening thing perfectly <laughs> okay um, you know, not, you're, you're not giving anything away. You're giving you're, but you're still tossing out ideas. Um, it's great. So, uh, ah, well, thank you. Yeah. From, from where I'm sitting, you're nailing it. Uh, yeah. Well, you're nailing it too, bud. Well, uh, thanks man. And I know you spend a lot of time reading these and thinking them over and going, doing all the notes. So this has made me a better reader and a better consumer of, of, uh, stories, I think. So this has been a really Fucking fun awesome. thing so far. Hell yeah. Um, well, you said get back on the ground. This this segues almost perfectly into them moving, making the jar big, making the contents big, and then the whole thing drops like two feet as the jar dissolves, 
and boom, the ground is now the ground. The deer's outside. Huzzah! And the deer runs around a bit and has a uh, has a cool experience looking out of the outside world. It like the first thing it does is like walk up and then just like walk back into the forest like nothing happened. Yeah, like it seems like it couldn't give less of a shit. And it's like, wait, you don't <laughs> do you you realize we just did this, right? Mm-hmm. I I really liked it when he like went up to the deer and used the the crown of eyes to look at the world through its eyes and like the deer still feels trapped and maybe the deer still is trapped it can't leave it's it's little locus area and uh and just the outside the the inside world all looks like the same repeating pattern and the outside world is this entire just cornucopia of different experiences and worlds and cool stuff to do and it can't touch any of it and i thought that was it was touching and it was cool to see the world through the deer's eyes and the fact that it doesn't see things in any sort of literal sense like everything was symbolic it even saw june as a stag which was interesting in its own right right yeah it's uh we got the world through all six of its eyes and Mm -hmm. it's like impressionist art (laughs) Mm -hmm. i uh what's fun is um like you said at the beginning or well right after it's out it's like uh wistfully looking out at the different world beyond the domain um Mm -hmm. and then when june parts the clouds for it and doesn't do the lion king joke it appreciates (laughs) that so much it gets to loyalty level 20 Mm -hmm. and uh now wherever june goes so does the domain yeah so that's pretty cool that is really awesome. And also, he can sweet talk the layman in the domain. So I guess he gets extra degrees of stuff. Um, but the thing that really, like, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it says when within the domain of the locust, the map might become confused with the territory. <laughs> what? Take a shot. I, I don't know. I don't know what to think at that point. Well, the I, map might be confused with the territory. I meant that. Oh, we, take a shot. Yeah, I got yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Per the rules. Drinking game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the best I can think of, because what does it mean to confuse the map of the territory? It means that you believe that your beliefs of things are the actual things, right? And that, I guess, that can come true when you're within the domain? And I think the reason that that sounds confusing and question marky is because that's, like, basically unimaginable, but that's straight up the doze alley. Yeah. So... That if you just believe something enough, it could happen. But or not in, if you not in any way that you could ever game, right? Yeah, because it says like the map. So it's not like just I believe something. It's like you literally have to be wrong about how reality is. But then that becomes right because you're in bullshit magic land. Like Solace. I remember like I, I got hung up on the math and it could be a typo. It could be because the metrics are different on Arab um, or it could be because she didn't know how fast swallows could fly. Right. Yeah. But they went like 50 yeah. miles or, or something in an hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, they're not going 50 miles an hour. There's no way. But Solace doesn't know how fast they can fly. Made perfect sense yeah. to her. So that's just how fast they did. Yeah. So maybe like he, to the extent that he can, he can sort of druid within the domain. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is like, it only works because of Solace's weird double thing. I have no idea how this is going to work. Like she, yeah, she gets, she somehow has managed to over the hundreds of years, confuse herself enough that she can literally have a faulty map on, on purpose and that's good for her because she, her magic allows her to confuse her map with the territory and and get the territory to match her map. But most people can't do that. Like when you believe things, when you have a map, you don't choose to believe it because it's convenient to believe that. you you Your beliefs are what they are because of 
whatever evidence you've run into as faulty as the evidence may be, right? Yeah. I'll see if I like, can. We can't choose to believe in a God just because it would be convenient to believe in a God. Right. So that's, that's not what this is going to do. You're right. It's going to be just like, if you have a wrong notion about something, it might actually just happen here. Yeah. Now, of course, because he's been concerned about harem business, like this does open the door for the Doe to turn into a pretty lady for June to worry about hareming, right? Right. He can worry about a harem some more and have it happen. But it's not because he really believed that the Doe was a was a was a pretty girl. It's because his like you're right. It's not merely a matter of belief. I I don't I I'm trying to think of what this could possibly look like, and it's going to do something cool. And what sucks is like I'd like a week to think about it, but I'm sure. I'm assuming we're probably going to get some uh, some example of it here in the next chapter or in the next readings. So um, I think it really makes sense now why druids are killed by science because science proves things and directly alters your belief by show by exposing it to the territory. Right? Like you you can no longer hold false beliefs that could get mixed up with the territory with your magic once your beliefs are corrected. So it it would literally just kill your magic because an essential part of your magic is being wrong about stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, they, they try as they might, they can't help, but be victim to the laws of logic. Yeah. And so they're like, well, shit, I guess. Yeah. You just showed me a hundred, uh, swallows. I can only fly 12 miles an hour. I guess that's as fast as they can fly. And I'll never yeah. be able to fly faster than that when I'm a swallow ever again, you know? Fucking a. Yeah. I mean, don't try and, you know, show them that you just can't turn into birds. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that doesn't, you know, she can still do that, but, um, yeah, we'll see and how it shakes out. And as a final note, June is worried that since, uh, the locust problem was not solved in this chapter, that maybe it just isn't solvable at all. Um, kind of like Gemma just died and that that's it. it. It's supposed to be a metaphor for something being unsolvable or something maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No quest update. This seems at least like progress. That's some, that's some bullshit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. well done you, you, you know the dough first step one complete the dough's out of the jar it was never going to be you know the last locust and thrive while it lived in that little jar so that, i mean it just seems like the dm's i don't know screwing him on this one mm-hmm. but yeah it could be because yeah maybe this is like a metaphor for something you know like i mean everything's probably a metaphor right but uh, <laughs> nothing not everything is a clue but everything is a metaphor i mean there's a reason that he didn't get a quest update here right there's a reason that the that one there's, of his companions is a six-eyed deer like yeah there's got to be a reason he didn't get an update because that is a massive step forward yeah i think uh i just i, I can't quite pin it down but the fact that it's confusing again is perfectly on brand for the for this companion yeah, yeah. so I'm prepared just to say, yeah, fine, it's that. So I don't know if they're going to do science with uh, with uh, locust stuff in the next reading or if they're going to go after uh, the zombie king because the last line is, in a few days' time, we're planning to kill Blue Captain Blue in the Bottle. Well, perhaps you will get a better idea when I read the names of the next three chapters that we're going to read. Fun on a bun. And it is going to be three chapters because I think enough stuff happens in these three chapters that uh, – we should limit it to three for, for our next reading. And I'm traveling this weekend, so... Um, oh, yeah! And that too... Shit, do we need to change the date of our next recording? No, we'll be good. I'll be back uh, Monday night, so... Um, okay. And I've got... Um, you know, I'll have plenty of time on, you know, waiting at the airport and in, in planes and stuff to read and do all the notes, so... Alrighty. 
Oh. Okay, well, the next three chapters are 200 through 202. That's 200, Feeling Blue. Mm-hmm. 201, The Aviary. And 202, Star Pupil. Aviary, uh, that's... Wait, is that the bird? Like, aviary? or Yeah, that, that is the word, yeah. There's some close word that's not birds. Okay, yeah, so that's bird stuff. Blue, hopefully zombies. Star Pupil, might be star magic. Uh-huh. Cool. All right, man. Well, this will be fun. Yeah. All right. So um, that is everything. Make sure to click links in the show notes to buy this, uh, to buy Alexander Wales's book or audiobook and or to support him or us on Patreons. That's right. Um, thanks again to, uh, I don't know, everybody for listening. Thanks to Alexander for, I, I was, I'm, I'm delaying here because I'm trying to think of a funny way to say thanks for like something, something so we can have it in our harem. Um, <laughs> Thanks for sneezing this story into our brains. At least you didn't say mouths. <laughs> yes. All, all right. Well, on that note, what better note could we possibly end on? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I'll see you next week. Yep. Bye bye. <laughs>